1: Hello, Hokie fans, and welcome into episode 221 of the Tech Sideline podcast. I'm your host, Will Stewart. I've got with me Chris Coleman, and today we have a very special guest on set. If you listen to this tech podcast regularly or TSL podcast regularly or watch it, you know we don't often have guests, but today we got a special one. We have, let's see if I can get this introduction correct, former Hokies running back, wide receiver, safety, Director of Defensive Player Personnel. Something like that. Safeties Coach and Defensive Coordinator Justin Hamilton. So, Justin, welcome to the show. Appreciate it.
0: Glad to be here.
1: Appreciate you coming on, and this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, We've got a list of questions that we want to ask, Tech Sideline, and then we threw it on our message board uh, yesterday afternoon, and I got 120 responses with questions. So I went through that stuff this morning. Uh, This is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, again, that is episode 221 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. So welcome back into the podcast, and without further ado, let's get going. I love these type of podcasts. You know, I always tell people I'm not a very good host, but when I get people here talking, I love it. So first of all, thank you for coming on.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's an honor to be here.
1: And the other thing that happened, so out of the 120 responses on the message board, probably 100 of them or 125 were questions. And another 10 or so were, tell him how much we love him. <laughs> 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 um, and just, uh, you know, and saying, wow, how'd you get him to come on? So the story about how we got you to come on was, I just reached out to you because we've known each other. You and I have known each other for over 20 years. Now, it's not like we're best buds, um, you know, it's not like that, but we have known each other for a long time. And But the first thing everybody wants to start with is, what is your current situation, your job prospects? So... Fill us in as much as you can on what's going on there.
0: Yeah, so um, the short answer is Monday through Friday. um, I make sure the kids are packed up for school, um, lunches, Chromebooks, masks, and we're at the bus stop. And then we get them going, and the wife is at workout group at nine, so I'm at home making sure beds are made or vacuum, clean up, get breakfast wiped down, and get things going in that regard. And I get my own workout in at some point in the year. Uh, Then we stay home with our little guy. So uh, until the bus gets back. I know that's not the question everybody asks, but that's (laughs) my current job status right now. (laughs) Um, But now in terms of the future or where we will be next, there's been, as most things go, conversations, uh, some things that we have said no to and some things that we probably would have liked to say yes to that ended up going different ways. And it's been very – it's been an enlightening experience for me because – oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, you are always able. Your schedule totally changes. It's totally different than having a routine or being on the road from city to city right now, uh, in and out of homes potentially. But um, it's really – it just gives me a chance to step away and say, what's actually important? What are you really in this for? How is your family really involved? We're second grade in kindergarten now. Um, so it, it's important in terms of what schools that they go to or how often they move and trying to set up stability, which is hard to do in this profession. But that's really where I'm at. Something will work out. And when it does, my objective is to go be the very best that I can be as a husband, as a father and as a coach so i know that head
1: coaches have agents do assistant coaches have agents like there is there somebody helping you out with this and
0: there is i have an agent totally met him randomly um back in right after the promotion to defensive coordinator Hmm. and uh so he's working he's doing what agents do and he and i have conversations probably three or four times a week if not more um just kind of about what's going on and you know what sounds good and bouncing things back and forth what have you heard what have i heard Um, so it's, you know, there's things that are at play. Um, but for me, it's, I've really enjoyed being able to just spend time with the family. You know, that's hard. You get frustrated you want to, a lot of times your ego says you want a job so you can tell everybody, Hey, I can get another job, but that's not what it's about. You know, I'm just trying to, I don't know how many, if I'm successful in this profession, there's not going to be very many. Januarys that I have free time to just be with the family, so I'm going to try to enjoy it while I can. Yeah, with the recruiting calendar basically being 12 months these days, (laughs) you don't
2: as a as a college coach you don't get that opportunity very often. You know, recruiting back in the day was basically okay. You play the season, and then everybody recruits for a month, and then there's a February signing day, and then you're kind of off for the summer.
0: And it's just not. It's not that that way anymore. anymore. It's not that way. And even if you're not. Physically in the, on the ground, somewhere recruiting, on the phone, social media, some version of recruiting players you don't have, you got to be recruiting the ones you do have. Mm-hmm. You've got to recruit them all the same now. And that's something – that's an element that we're all learning as we go. But that's important. It should have already been important, but it just – there's a different light because mm-hmm. of the different schedule and routine. So there's a lot of things that – Uh, And it's kind of, for me, like being an injured player. You know, when you're injured as a player, a lot of times you get to step back and gain new perspective. And it's that way right now for me, not being out on the road, just worrying about the 25 prospects we're trying to sign or whatever. It's given me a chance to see that, which time will tell the value in that, but I got to believe there's value in it.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with all that. And uh, so let's let's get into the stuff that I wanted to ask you about. Um, So... I interviewed you it was I think it was very late 2000 I think it was November of 2000 you were still in high school you had not signed with tech but you had committed and back then tech sideline was mostly free but we were doing this thing it was a once a month publication that we squeezed down into a, uh, a PDF and we called it the TSL extra and one of the things I would do is I would, I would interview recruits I didn't do a lot of that but I do remember the ones that I did I uh, from that 2001 recruiting class, I interviewed you and your mom, which for some reason became the pattern for me. <laughs> I interviewed uh, Will Hunt and his mom, and I later interviewed Kevin Jones and his dad. Now, that one wound up being a Kevin Jones' dad interview with a qu- few quotes from Kevin, <laughs> Kevin's kind of a he's an introvert you know he yeah. had these conversations he's not particularly at the age of 17 or 18 he's not a kid who's really gonna want to talk so I wanted I went back and I read that article and first of all everybody in, in Clintwood where you're from loved you we had the uh, I had the basketball coach athletic director talk about you I had your mom talk about you and then I had some quotes from you as well but I, I remember this from 20 plus years ago I remember your mom saying this and I want to read this it was very early in the article Beth Hamilton Stanley got an inkling that her son Justin might turn out to be an athlete when he was about four years old. Quote, when he was four, she said, before he could read words, he would get the newspaper and he would open it up and read the box scores of baseball games. No joke. I wish I'd taken a picture of this little kid (laughs) sitting on the couch like a big adult with the paper wide open looking at the box scores.
0: First of all, is that true? Uh, Yes. And... I, you ask your follow up because I feel like we're going in the same direction, but let's just see.
1: I'm not sure what the follow the follow up is now looking through that article, you were one of those guys that played all those sports basketball, baseball, football, um, you eventually gave up baseball to like run track because baseball was a grind with like 128
0: I, endurance. Well, sport. I got connived. I got connived by my high school coach, my football coach, and our defense coordinator. They were switched roles for track. The defense coordinator was the head track coach. The head football was this. And they were like, hey, running track is going to do so much more for you in football than playing baseball will." So right. that was it for me. But going back to the newspaper, it's kind of what's interesting is I think we're all products of what we see our parents or guardians, what they do, because right now, uh, Ace, our 15-month-old, he can grab a cell phone and put it to his ear and babble as if he's talking. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I woke up every morning, my grandparents would be reading the paper, drinking coffee. So I think that's probably where it began. But my grandfather also, TBS with Braves Baseball, he probably watched all nine innings of every all 162 games. And I would sit right by him. So yeah. I actually did know what was going on sort of as much as a four-year-old can with the National League East or whatever they were back then. It was with the, the West back then. Uh, it, it was the Very West, early days right. they were in that's the it, The right, very yeah. Eastern team in so, the so Falcons I, so I, were in the NFC West. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
2: I grew up exactly like you. Uh, we're the same class, by the way. Okay. Like. Yeah, nice. So I wake up in the morning. Sports centers on television. Baseball box scores in the newspaper. I'm a Braves fan. Um, so yeah, it's the same thing. And, and uh, like that. That's what people in our generation grew up doing when it comes to watching sports. You know, I, I would watch all the Braves games and things like that. But you don't necessarily know what's going on nowadays. If you're laying in bed, and you want to check the the scores of the West Coast games. You can get them just like you that on your phone. On, but dude. but the next day. But back then, you had to wait until the morning to
1: see who yeah. won the game.
2: Or if it's a West Coast game, if the Braves were playing on the West Coast, you might have to wait two days before you could actually read the box score. See,
1: they didn't the have cable at where you lived, right? You didn't. Have- uh, we had a
2: satellite. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we, we got a satellite. But, yeah, they still don't offer cable where I'm from. So,
1: so not to go on a huge tangent, but is it true that Dale Murphy's not in the Hall of Fame? He's not in the Hall of Fame. When he retired,
2: he had the 16th most home runs of any player of all time. Then the steroid era came right after him. Yeah. And so he retired with 399 home runs, and hmm. which was 16th all time. And But that's been marginalized because right after him, yeah. everybody just started hitting homers like crazy. Yeah, that's... Yeah.
0: That, that's another, I would like to be a part of that podcast too, though, because I was kind of there for the baseball, like yeah. the the rise and the fall. I was yeah. a big baseball card collector. So I was. I've
2: still got thousands of them. Yeah, me like, too. Yeah, me still too. Still got thousands of them. Uh, so
1: what was the year they went on strike? Was it? 94. 94. Yep. So you would have been about. 12? Middle school,
0: 12 years old. 12 the height old, of yeah. my baseball. Like, and I'm surprised yeah. you go to Clintwood and that area, if you ask questions about me, they talk about Little League Baseball. Yeah, yeah really? the, yep. that's that's well, what they talk about. um but I, and that was the peak for me, that right in the height of Little League Baseball and then the baseball strike. And then I'm 16 when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Oh, yeah. That and was, was, and was and like, forth. oh, I'm back into baseball now, <laughs> <laughs> just like everybody else.
2: It's still, still such grassroots down there in southwest Virginia. I was, uh, I know Brad Clontz pretty well, who went to Virginia Tech and pitched for the Braves, and yep. won a World Series with the Braves, and they honored him at – in his high school, Patrick yeah. County High School, and Stuart back in spring, and I got a chance to to go to that and be part of that event. But like the grass, grass movements for baseball in 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 this state, Southwest Virginia, is still very very strong. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think if I remember correctly, I also read you averaged twenty four points and twelve rebounds a game in basketball. Does that sound right? Uh, that's correct.
0: Um, asterisk. There was a couple of solid. Basketball players, meaning Division One caliber basketball players, there were some good teams, mm-hmm. but a little bit of that was I was kind of just like,
1: well, you're six the, four, the big right? kid, yeah, yeah. running what around. What position were you playing? Everywhere, okay, everywhere. It was <laughs> like
0: Magic Johnson Game Seven, every game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, uh, that for me that would be Game Six. It was Game Six when they were play when the Lakers were playing the Sixers. Was when that I was when it Ozzie. was Game
0: Six? His rookie year.
1: Kareem missed a game. And Magic filled in at center and scored forty-two points. That's
0: the game I'm talking about, where it's like I was center, point guard, two guard, three, but I was never a, never really developed real basketball skills. Yeah. It was just an athletic kid, like yeah. teaching myself how to play.
1: Well, the the people I interviewed back then spoke uh, very highly of you. Um, so does where does where does your mom live these days? Is she still in Clintwood? My mom lives
0: uh, probably a forty yard fade route from where we grew up okay Okay. she's right beside it still around there right there
1: do do you ever go back there uh, yeah i was just
0: there uh after the bowl game so post new year we were Mm -hmm. just there we usually go then around christmas and we usually go at least once in the summer
1: yeah uh what's what's your take on again this is kind of a tangent but but what's your take on how uh, football in rural areas like south, far southwest Virginia is now. Because back then, you had from that area, you had Julius Jones and Thomas Jones and you. And, you know, these are guys that had big college careers and big NFL careers. Now, you got James Mitchell out of there. And what's interesting is Clintwood High School doesn't exist anymore. Right, It was combined with?
0: Hayside High School. Hayside, right. And, well, and a couple years prior to that, Irvington High School, where okay. Kurt Newsom actually had coached there back in the day. That's, at right. One point. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, it's a very small school, 120 student school or something like that.
1: So I'm standing at a, at a state cross country meet probably, I don't know, 5 6 years ago because my kids both ran cross country. And here comes this kid running along and he's in in a black uniform with what looks like a U from the University of Miami on the front of his is is cross country uniform. And I thought, "What the heck is that?" And that's the high school that that Clintwood and Hayside and everything combined into uh What's it called, Union High School? Well, no,
0: so our high school, my high school, is Ridgeview High School now. Okay. Three schools became Ridgeview. James Mitchell's high school was Powell Valley High School and Appalachia, which is Appalachia was at the lowest level of single-A football. They were the king when I was growing up. They won, and then the second level, which now I think it's all single-A, double-A, triple-all the way up to six. It was the single-A had two divisions, double-A, so it's the same setup. Yeah, uh, but Appalachia High School was top dog yeah. in that league and then Powell Valley High School now that's Union where James Mitchell went Yeah, and that's Thomas and Julius Jones went to Pow Valley Powell High Valley. School Travis Turner I don't know I was if, about to bring him right? up yeah, so that's him. The the Appalachia, right? went to Appalachia and he's yeah. coaching out there he right? is he's the head coach there and that's uh, my freshman year when like the first two games out of high, in high school I came out of the gate people thought I was somebody and they beat the brakes off of us in yeah. game three That was like a realization of dude, you you don't even you can't even grow a mustache, and as we see, I <laughs> we'll figured out to how to grow a second. mustache. Actually, but.
1: we should get to that right now. So, <laughs> so we we have to be careful here because uh, probably half the people are listening to this, and the other half will later be watching it on YouTube. So those of you on YouTube, we we will put this up over the the, the video, and this is so for those listening. What I've got here is I've got I've got the in air quotes cover. Of the TSL where, <laughs> where you were featured. And it's a picture. I'm going to ask you, do you remember this photo session?
0: Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Were you on a mini tramp? Uh, or- so, it was the angle of the cameraman. Mm-hmm. I was just on the regular football field. Okay. And they threw down, like, a T-shirt or something. And it was to jump. Like, I had just won the state championship in the hurdles uh, right. the spring before there, the summer, whatever, before that. In both hurdles, 110 and 300. So it was like a hurdle play and then like the football deal, but I actually remember in that moment, or during those moments, kind of thinking like, I feel like this a little much, like (laughs) this is cool, but like this is extra.
1: (laughs) So what the picture shows is it shows Justin Hamilton in full uniform. (sighs) Straight up Clintwood green, jersey and pants and with the giant shoulder pads that you guys used to have <laughs> back then. Straight 90s. And, and it's, you're right, it's a hurdle pose, but you're you're holding the football like, I don't know, like you're leaping over people or something like that. And and uh, in the background are Clintwood cheerleaders spelling out CHS, right? So I'm yeah. guessing this is probably taken prior to your senior year as probably a preseason edition or something like that. Um, So you remember shooting that. And so I showed this to you the other day. I told you we're going to talk about this. And what did you immediately notice? The mustache. The mustache. mustache. (laughs) It's
0: so bad. And it's like, I just, I feel like the people that I call close friends from high school or from back home weren't really close friends because like a close friend would tell you, dude, you got to do something, anything, like whatever, you just decide something and do it. But you can't just leave this. This is bad. You can't leave
1: that oh, Well, it, it lives on, my man. It challenges.
0: It rivals <laughs> Pearson Prelo. That might be the only one in the world that can rival his mustache. <laughs> Shout out Pearson Prelo. watching this and
1: I got totally derailed, man. What were we <laughs> talking about before we started laughing at this uh, picture? All right. Let's see. So, oh, we were talking about uh, high union school. high schools and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, I can't remember, did did you have any recruiting responsibilities down in that part of the state on staff for Tech?
0: A little bit. It was kind of like, basically like, I know the guys down here, so, you know, if you need me to talk to somebody about them, then I will. And I always was in touch with those guys, you know, regardless, they would hit me up. If they ever had a player that they wanted us to look at, they'd hit me up. and. I uh, didn't always get there as often as I, I did. I got down in there uh, multiple times, but not as often as I would have liked to. And COVID had something to do with yeah, some of that, yeah. too. Um, but, yeah, I was back down there. And it's interesting because it's like used to it was this is so-and-so's brother or sister. That's how I would know them, the association. And now it's like this is their son or daughter. Son or nephew yeah, or daughter. Yeah. Right. yeah. So.
1: Um, all right, so you were recruited out of Clintwood by Charlie Wiles, right? Yep, I was. Yeah. yeah. So talk about that. Uh, you, you and Coach Wiles are probably still tight, right?
0: Yeah, well, I for me, I love Charlie Wiles. Uh, and it was interesting because on paper, uh, like if you just saw this picture of me with the stash <laughs> and all the other things, I don't know that you would have thought that that would be the perfect guy to come down to where I'm from and recruit me. Charlie's can be country. Charlie was very much – he was the perfect guy. I mean, he came in. My high school coach loved him. Like, he would come down sometimes. And, you know, back in those days, you would come in. I don't even remember what all the rules were. I know Coach Beamer came in the spring. So, head coaches could still come out in the spring uh, at some point in there. But, like, during the day, they'd go fish. You know, if they – if Coach Me, my high school coach, he was a PE driver's ed teacher, so a couple blocks off he would go and they just fish, you know, and hang out and he fit right in and uh, you know, it was the old days of kids when he recognized this, but the landline in the living room. So the phone call came to the land, landline in the living room and uh a lot of coaches that I would talk to would be like it felt kind of formal and like you're just doing your part of the process. And with Coach Wiles it was always like I'm just talking to a guy, just a guy that coaches football and Uh, We connected in that way, and, you know, he gave me a window into the place here. I had no idea that this place was going to align so much with who I was as a person. I just knew Michael Vick (laughs) made the team look really good. But then when I came here uh, on visits, you know, I came the first time, second time, the more I would come, the more it was like – I can get past the the Chicago maroon and burn orange, and, and I can get past the stadium not being like what Nealon Stadium was or what other places were. I, I connect. With the and Coach Wiles was the the starting point for that for me
2: was a uh, Tennessee your other big option
0: Tennessee I went to a Tennessee game when I was in first or second grade and that probably made a big impression. Well, they it was a huge impression Neyland Stadium and I'm obviously already reading box scores at four. I'm seven or eight now or nine or whatever. I was huge into it. They played Auburn. Uh, poured rain. We were sitting on the lower level, just underneath the upper level, so we stayed dry. Carpet turf, dudes are sliding all over the place. Reggie Cobb and Chuck Webb are there. So the whole crowd's chanting Cobb Webb. Win the game, tear down the goalposts. Like so from that day until uh the Clemson Thursday night game, 1999, hmm. I was going to Tennessee. Wow. I mean, when when Coach Wiles, Coach Height, and uh Coach Beamer came into my house to do a home visit, I had a nightstand that was the Tennessee helmet that was my lamp. Uh the ninety-eight championship poster. Um, I mean, James Littleman Stewart I've got elementary school pictures mm-hmm. taken into, So it was Tennessee out And then they just slowly I came here to camp prior to my sophomore year And got a glimpse then We came to team basketball camps then uh, And Like I said, Michael Vick And then the national championship And it was like, I, this is where I want to be This is, I can get all the same things That I could get at Tennessee This feels more like the place for me and, that's,
1: and, and so to put things in context, you had something like fifty six hundred yards rushing and eighty touchdowns or something like that, and you were in the parlance of today's uh, landscape. You were a four star recruit, a high four star recruit. You were top five in the state, so you would yeah. you would have been a
2: top one hundred ish player comparatively to these days. So, yeah.
1: Back then, you were a super prep all American. That right. was the thing to right. be, you know. And and so. You know this this wasn't uh, a diamond in the rough. You were a highly tatted player who was highly recruited.
0: I had the good fortune too of coming up behind, like you mentioned, Thomas and Julius Jones. Both those guys, like they drawn attention. I watched Thomas at UVA, and Tiki Barber is saying at least on tv that he's going to be better than me and then Julius goes to Notre Dame I actually was at Tennessee visiting my junior year when they played Notre Dame so I got to watch him as a true freshman go play and be successful so they gave me confidence they gave me a belief that people from here can go play and then Heath Miller at the time we were in the same class That's right man and we played against each other three times in high school I think twice actually three times we played once he was out uh but like I was like, I think this is a real dude. You know, I feel like this is a really good player. And then seeing him have success gave me the confidence in those guys. Jason Witten was close by down there Mm -hmm. to we can go do this. Like, it's not about where you're from. And then as I'm sure we're getting to, like, I'm feeling good about myself. And then I came to the spring game when you met your class back then. Right. And I saw Kevin Jones, and I was just like, I just threw my hands up. Like, I'm this running well, back career is over. It's yeah,
2: fun. three Super Prep All-Americans in one class. Kevin Jones Super the Prep All- american running back, Running back, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so Kevin Jones was the number one recruit in the country. Serge-, Serge Humes was top ten in the state of Virginia back then. So, And it's not like back then you're getting online every day and, and seeing everybody who signed with everybody and things like that. Uh, and you're looking at these guys' pictures and seeing, oh, this is what I'm up against. You know, I, much for, big, much for me,
0: all I thought was I'm Eddie George. That's sure. all I thought was I'm sure. Eddie George. That was a comparison. That, that makes sense. George.
2: Yeah, it makes makes sense with your with your height and frame and everything. That that makes that comparison I, makes sense. I
0: thought I'm Eddie George, so they're not going to beat out Eddie George. And I realized <laughs> one, I'm not Eddie George, and two, that's Kevin Jones and <laughs> Cedric Hughes. they were both way better than me. Wow.
1: So so that's interesting. So uh, kind of you know uh, we have a lot to get to. So let's not spend 30 minutes on it, but just walk through your tech career and all the position changes. And I'll be honest, one of the questions that people asked was, you know, Frank, of course, at the time said, oh, Justin's a team guy, he does whatever we need, great guy, as they moved you from position to position to position. (laughs) Um, But somebody in the board said, ask him, um, he was really doing it for his own good, wasn't he? Because that's what players do. And it
2: was, to be clear, it was running back then wide receiver,
0: then back to running back, yep. and then to free safety. That's correct. Wow. That's yeah. correct. That was the journey. So, uh, first of all, shout out and thank you, Coach Beamer, for painting the picture that way. And then for the question that came in, that's the perfect question because I'll get to that. But very quickly, um, the first thing when I got here, I realized actually the day of the same spring game, I went and talked to Mike Gentry. And was like, I looked at myself and I looked at Kevin Jones. It's like, dude, I got to do something. I don't know what I got to do, but I got to do something. And I think that, uh, that he always remembered that conversation. So I think that it was impactful for him. It definitely was for me. I started to gain some weight as I was redshirted. Um, clearly, when I, I haven't even talked about Lee Suggs. I saw Kevin Jones and took one glimpse at him and was like, I'll never play. As long as this guy's here, I'll never play over him.
1: In the interview I did with you, you mentioned Lee Suggs and you mentioned
0: coming in and kind of being his heir apparent. And that's, in my mind, what I thought because I had never – I didn't know who Kevin Jones was until the day he committed to Virginia Tech. I Then it was in my newspaper at home. Mm. I didn't even know. Like, I had no idea. Then I saw some videos. And he
1: was very late. You had committed in probably October, November, something like that. He committed very late, like right before Sunday. Right before and, Sunday. Yeah.
0: Well, I actually committed in December. Okay. And then he committed in January, like the last weekend last or week. the, like right around right now uh headed into signing day and i'd always said once i commit there is no decommit like that wasn't as as prevalent then but i was not going to decommit and and it was kind of like all right big boy like keep your word (laughs) you know and uh but lee suggs was one of the best running backs to this day that i've still ever seen in person and you know injuries to me derailed what could have been a double digit year career because he was complete yeah. And KJ, too, the same way. KJ was complete. We could argue about his hands a little bit, but I don't want to do that till he's here to defend himself. Yeah. But he was a complete, you obviously. You know, his
1: company is in the Corporate Research Center. He's not far away. He's <laughs> got companies everywhere. He's close by everywhere you go. Well, he uh, does have an MBA. He's, he's yeah, got no, okay. KJ's
0: a big-time dude. I always appreciated him, always liked him, and he and I always had a good relationship. We were never like, you wouldn't catch us too many times outside the building hanging out together, but our relationship was always good. Right. Always, Uh, But anyway, so I go through that season. K.J. explodes on the scene. Unfortunately, Lee got hurt that year. It's K.J.'s opportunity to prove that, and he did. Uh, And I kind of at that point realized it's going to be a long time before I play running back. And in the spring, uh, the first scrimmage we had, I actually – I was playing running back. I actually went the wrong way on a speed option play and got Brian Randall tagged pretty good because there was no pitch key. So he had to eat the ball. Um, And then the next Monday I came in and found out that I was getting moved to receiver. So I thought, like, I went the wrong way on speed option. So, like, I got fired from playing running back. And then uh, I get put at receiver and you kind of – Now, this is spring of 2002? This is spring of two thousand. Two, so, yes, following the 2001 season going into 2002. Uh, so I, when I get moved to receiver, I have these gigantic shoulder pads on. Still, Everybody was still big pads back then, and I got new cleats. I got new thigh pads, new knee pads, new shoulder pads, new face masks, new. And it was like a brand-new day. Like I'd never been a receiver before. Hmm. And I understood how to run routes and catch. I mean, I was a ball boy from a high school from seven or eight Tennessee game that I mentioned up. So mm-hmm. I was always around it. And I just kind of started going and just running routes and trying to catch the ball. Tony Ball, which was that was an interesting experience. I've uh, never been with anybody that was that big on details and organization and precision. You gotta you use, use tool right? your tools in the yeah. toolbox, right? Gotta use your tools <laughs> in the toolbox. And Tony Ball is, is a phenomenal mentor in my life to this day. I love T Ball. Uh he is in a, at a high school, I believe. I just talked to David That's Clowney right. about okay. him. Okay. But T-ball is – he (laughs) – anyways, I love T-ball. T-ball was tough when you didn't know what you were getting into because he demanded your best in everything, which I appreciate now. Uh, So kind of I think maybe got some design, like let's get him the ball in these scrimmages or in this seven-on-seven period to the point of starting to feel like maybe I can do this. And actually back then in the offensive newcomer, got that award uh, in the spring um, and went into the 2002 season thinking like, I'm about to be a receiver, you know, in in rotation, in the mix and whatever. Um, Played some against Arkansas State. We opened the season that year, go to LSU, or play against LSU the year we beat them out here. And uh, you blocked a
2: punt that game. I did.
0: I did. I blocked the punt in that game, I think the second quarter. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, earlier, prior to that, I ran the wrong route in on a play. And I'm going to say this live on uh, – or not live, but <laughs> for the podcast, Mike Emo, who got moved to receiver that year too because oh. of KJ and Lee Suggs, came in motion on that play. And there's archives. He and I can both go back and look at it, and you can get him on here, and he better tell you the truth. As he's in motion, he asked me what his route was. Mm-hmm. We had a shallow, a high low read, basic route, a shallow and then ten to twelve yards deeper, a in route or a dig behind it. <laughs> and we would switch it based on who was where who would be the deeper and the shorter. And on the motion he's asking me, is he short or low? And it confused me and I froze up. So we both ran the same route. <laughs> uh-huh. it's, yeah. am- it's
2: amazing, <laughs> like uh, you put a couple guys right next to each right next to each other who had basically never played receiver before
0: that's going to happen and these are the kind of things that happen yeah yeah and it was pretty much the lsu team that won a national championship the next year right pretty much, basically yes um but i didn't play for a month after that because (laughs) coach ball didn't feel like he could trust me Yeah, i have people in here we can trust and i learned a great lesson in that um and that fast forward into the end of 2002 i kind of got back in rhythm a little bit uh and was learning how to play the position. I had a fourth down catch in the bowl game against the Air Force that made me feel good in, in the season. Uh, and then going into 03, really felt like I was coming into my own. Probably wasn't as good as what I thought I was, but I felt like I was coming into my own. Ernest Wilford was a great role model for me, uh, not just his work ethic and his the way he carried himself, went about his business, but also a big receiver that wasn't the burner that's going to separate, but was carving a niche for himself. Uh, when he left, he's like, you know, hey, go take my records. He got a record in the bowl game or two. Uh, I'm sure he had others, but he got one of them in that game. And he was like, go be better than me. And I'm thinking like, okay, like, let's do this. So then now quickly we go into the off season. I'm a receiver. Uh, spring ball comes out. Cedric Humes breaks his leg. And then um, we had information that there was going to be guys that missed some games early in the season. So... As that was unfolding, there was really, uh, Brandon Orr was going to be a true freshman or what was coming into our class as a true freshman. They did not want to burn his red shirt. Coach Beamer was big about keeping that. You yeah, had Mike Emo, Cedric Humes. Mm. Uh, you had me as the third. George Bell was also on the roster. So it was a need to redshirt him. Well, uh, when Emo missed some time and Cedric, uh, Humes broke his leg in the spring. It's kind of like, we got to get you here. Now, which spring are we in right
1: now, 2003
0: or 04 Prior to – post uh, – spring of 2004. Right. right. Prior to that 04 season. Prior to the right. FedEx Because you had gone on and started at wide receiver in 2003. Correct. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, 04 now, I'm thinking that I'm going to – be, like, the guy at receiver. I've got more catches than anybody on our team. Mm-hmm. I don't realize we've signed Eddie Royal, Justin Harper, Josh Morgan, Josh Hyman. Still, they're all freshmen. I realize yeah. we've signed them, but I don't realize that yeah. it's like when you say their name, every Hokie fan is like, whew, yeah. yeah. Like, you're yeah. not cracking that lineup. It's a heck you know? of a
1: recruiting class. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a good enough team offensively with the weapons and Brian Randall and the running backs to where... You can win the ACC with that team, mm-hmm. and you're going to win the ACC, whether I played receiver, whether I played running back, whether I played backup quarterback, it didn't matter. The same guys were going to produce and do the same things. Mm-hmm. So that's what led into after 2004 where I'm feeling like this whole high school to college to NFL to buy mama a house, like I'm not sure that's going to work out for me. And I kind of was just at home. I was frustrated. There was a time like 2004 would have been if I was going to – transfer that would have been it and it was because not because I just felt like I deserved to play or felt over guys that were playing it was because I felt like I'm witnessing us roll off eight straight to win the league and I'm watching the guys put in the work and go earn that they did and I'm just sitting there saying man I want to be a part of it too like I want to feel like I got a hand in it like they do not he should be out I should be in I was just frustrated because I felt like, man, these guys are like really we, – when we were two and two, it was a players-only meeting. And Jim Davis, Mikel McKee, Jason Lawless, Jared Mazetta, the seniors of that crew, Eric Green, uh, Brandon Manning, like they were like, this is how it's going to be. And this is how we're – and if it's – if y'all don't operate this way, then you got to see us. There is no Coach Beamer. There is no Coach Gentry. Like, you got to see us. And we beat West Virginia when they're a top five or top ten team. We beat, end up beating Virginia. We end up winning tight a bunch of tight games. Carolina game when we gave up the block punt that should not have been as tight as it was. Right. Like all these situations and we're overcoming them. And I'm just like, man, I, I want to be a part of it. And I got a little taste against Maryland uh, that Thursday night game. Emo went down with the hamstring. But I just was like, man, we're doing big things, and I'm not a part of it. It's like I'm. it doesn't matter whether I'm here or not. And it did, but as a 21- or 22-year-old, you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I just kind of randomly hit up Coach Ward, and I just – Coach Ward, can I play safety? Like we just lost Vinny Fuller. We just lost Eric Green. Jimmy Williams was playing corner. So you
1: initiated that is uh, what I did. you're telling
0: us. I did. And it was kind of like I think maybe they thought I was halfway mm-hmm. joking and I was a little bit uh, like protecting my feelings and my ego, saying, I mean, you might as well just let me try safety. I'm not going to play at running back or at receiver. It's kind of like I said it like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the wherewithal <laughs> to see all that I saw, but um, it kind of just became like, no, I'm serious. I'm not going to play. It's okay. Like I'm, I'm not going to play over there, and that's okay. Where else could I play? And that's the other place I could play. And there there was a VHS tape back in those days that Coach Foster had as an install tape that was, I mean, it was old school. It probably went back to 19. I mean, it had to be 95 when he first really took it over, uh, of install of his defense. And it was like every night of my life, I would pop it in, press play, and just about every morning I'd wake up, it'd be the blue screen where the TV's still on and the VCR was done playing. And I just did that as much as I could and went into spring and took off. Now, after practice six, during practice six, I got hurt and missed the next nine practices Hmm. of that spring, too. So. I had a uh, perineal tendon tear in my ankle that I had to get repaired, and I broke down, and Mike Goforth's office. I thought my career was over. Because this is heading into your redshirt senior season. My fifth year, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm thinking it's over. You know, Mike told me that I was probably going to need surgery Mm -hmm. and that uh, if I did, that it was going to keep me out until probably about the beginning of August. So I thought at that time, DJ Parker was the starter at free safety. I was the backup. It was – kind of understood. You're both going to play, but DJ was the starter. And DJ had earned it to that point um, to be the starter. And I felt like I'm never going to have a chance to earn a spot. There's going to be other people that say this is over, like my career is done. Um, And I really, you know, for probably a two, three week period, believe that going into my senior year, going into surgery and then sitting in a cast with Laid up, you know, and just pain meds couldn't eat, um kind of was like had the shakes and cold chills because I had no appetite, like I was pretty low, wow, yeah, um but it ended up all working out, got healthy and was very fortunate and now that year, the other ten guys that played with me on defense, and this is not to like get in the fields on a podcast. If you look at the other ten guys that played on defense that year, that's why I got drafted, and I tell that message to our kids all the time. Because when those guys are playing around you, you look better than you are. They were Chris, loaded, Chris has
1: said many times he thinks that's the most talented Virginia Tech team that they ever feel they're just
0: talented. I think if you, if you just look at who on that team ended up, not necessarily their careers in the pros, but where they went into the door mm-hmm. in the pros. I think that is like there's no question to me now – Granted, Mike Vick carries a lot of weight, and granted Lee Suggs, those guys carry a lot of weight, but that was a talented – just about everybody that touched the field got a shot in the NFL. You, you had Brandon Flowers backing up Jimmy And Williams, Macho so Harris backing them
2: up. Exactly. Oof. Yeah, it was it's yeah. Incredible. I mean, incredible. And, and Aaron
0: Rouse. Aaron Rouse was the other safety. Right. Uh, James Anderson, Vince Hall, Xavier mm. DB. Yeah. I mean, you've got – it was a, a, a team.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, Xavier Adebe and
0: Vince Hall got all the, the headlines,
2: and rightfully so. They were great players, but like – James Anderson was like the third wheel of that linebacker James group, but and he's the one that played like ten years. Twelve in the years NFL. in the league, yeah. 12,
0: yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, you've got Chris Ellis that was backing up Daryl Tapp. right? You know, and Gosh. our. Maybe he was starting. I can't. But Nolan Burchette was out there. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Lewis, Carlton Powell.
1: So we were talking about this in the office yesterday. Ten of the eleven starters were from the from the state yeah. of Virginia, right. and like three or four of the backup defensive
0: linemen were from the state right. of Virginia. Yeah. Wow. and you're
1: and you're telling me you were a backup behind DJ, right?
0: Well, we we were co-starters that okay. year. We yeah, started. I probably started. It was about half and half of yeah. the, the season that year that we started. Now, now, let me ask you this. Now, it's it's difficult
2: to say I would do this. It's difficult to put yourself in the shoes of someone else in a different time period. But a modern player, going if he's going into his fifth year and he hasn't played and he's got to switch positions again, what if the transfer portal existed
0: when you were a player? And that, that do you Carson's ever think about this? Yeah, 100% I think <laughs> about it. And I it's the same – uh, one of the things that I, identities I've tried to create for myself in coaching is candid honesty. Same thing when I was at VMI that I told every parent and every player that I recruited when we'd walk them through uh, the mess hall during Saturday morning, official visits. And the freshmen, the rats, as they call them, are just getting blasted. They're Just trying to eat breakfast on a Saturday morning. I told everyone and we showed it to them this is in a million lifetimes I would never do this (laughs) ever I'm telling you as the person asking you to do it in a million lifetimes me personally I would never do it and I can tell you because I wouldn't finish I wouldn't I wouldn't finish at 18 today I could do it at 18 there's no no chance in a million tries that I would do Mm -hmm. it same thing with the transfer portal I will sit here and say I guarantee you I would have entertained it I would have looked around I would have called people I would have asked or texted or whatever People to say, if I were to transfer, is there a spot, you know, like, could you help me get a spot here or there? You know, and like um, that's what I would have done. I know I would have done it. I mean, it's speculation, but I know I would have done it. And I can't say that I would have gotten in the portal. And one of the reasons why is Will Hunt. I talked to Will. Uh, we haven't even mentioned Will, so I'm kind yeah. of So, so let, let me tee that up a okay. little bit.
1: Um, so uh, when I interviewed you, that was TSL extra number two. And the key interview in TSL Extra number three was Will Hunt out and, of Springdale, Arkansas. And
2: Will was one of three quarterbacks signed.
1: Yeah. That, him that him class, and Brian Randall. Brian, Chris Clifton. Chris
0: Clifton. Chris Clifton, yeah. yeah. So Will was three, I was two yeah, in the Extra order. Yeah, I just want to make and sure And, he of course, he I interviewed three. his mom,
1: <laughs> BG, his mom, BG Hunt. And, Great lady. And, and I, I, I don't want to go into a tangent because of time. But I just find it very interesting that I interviewed you two guys back to back then you
0: get to Virginia Tech and become great friends. We both, at that time, the early, the mid-year, air quotes, enrollee was the guy that came in summer school. That was like your freshman, you got a a leg up. And both of us were second semester summer school enrollees. And the two things that attracted me to Will, number one, he lived in Harper, I lived in Cochran. So he had air conditioner during the summer, and they had a washer and dryer. (laughs) So I could get over there to that. And then number two, it was like probably he's one of, I think I could name 10 or less people in my lifetime that within five seconds of a conversation, it was like, I love this dude. It just, I don't even know what we were talking about. I don't even remember, but it was.
1: Did you ever see his high school film? I
0: did. I, and actually, he has a brother. Have you guys seen the film "Greater," the Brandon Burlsworth story? No. There's a movie that's about him. You're familiar with the story, right? Though I've, Arkansas I've heard about offensive it, yeah. lineman. Yeah. So the the offensive lineman from the '98 Arkansas season, they fumbled the ball. Mm-hmm. I'm a Tennessee fan. Oh, I, remember point, that, right? I remember that. Remember that game, whole season. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, walk on the Burlsworth Walk on Award. That Jack Tyler actually has won. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the movie. His brother is a part of the production crew. His brother does like high level movie production. Hmm. So he had a high level movie production of Will's senior year from high school, his That's highlight true. tape. So I got to see a lot of, I mean, he showed that thing all the time. So I saw the story his
1: mom told me was they were, the family was sitting around in, in Arkansas watching the national championship game with Michael Vick in it. And BG, Will Hunt's mom, Called him in and said, Watch this guy, he plays just like you. <laughs> Will Hunt's high school film is positively Michael Vick like.
0: Yeah. In
1: in the pocket. Now they didn't pass. They had a terrible. Well, it's the same offense.
0: Offence. It's the like the same two back, eye formation, mm-hmm. like yeah. heavy run. Yeah. Um but no, Will was um Love Will. But Will, we had a conversation one night and you know, I was frustrated and I confided in Will. And I'm like, dude, I just should go somewhere else. Like I just—that's what I should do, you know. I mean, and that wasn't irrational. It was like, I mean, look around, man. Like, yeah. and he was like, "You're you're not going anywhere." Like. You're staying here. Like, if you leave, I'm leaving, and I don't want to leave. And Will wasn't even on the team at this point. Like, Will gave it up. He didn't, nothing bad happened. He just gave it up, still graduated. We lived together the entire time. He loved Virginia Tech. Oh, he's now. and still does. Still he, he does. was
1: the Billy Ray Mitchell of his day. He quit football, but he really loved Virginia Tech. Yeah,
0: oh yeah. Now he well, he didn't just it, it didn't quit. It was Brian Randall, Marcus Vick, Tyrod yeah. Taylor. Like <laughs> a that's, lot that's what happened of competition, like, man. and yeah. then he you as a quarterback. Now Will could have played defense. Like I don't know if he'll ever admit he was that. Athlete, he yeah. could have played defense. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of the, the thing. But, yes, long way to answer the question of I absolutely – I know myself and I know myself at that age. I know I would have entertained the transfer portal for sure.
1: And, and so the other guy I always tell this story about is a guy who came after you was Stephen Friday, defensive end out of Phoebus. He stuck with the program, uh, red-shirted, took the full five years, and he didn't start till his red-shirt senior year. Only had about ten sacks, that and year.
0: that was like Brendan Hill, right? right. Exactly, Brendan, right. Brendan, Brendan, sox, same yeah, Brendan Hill was the yeah. same way.
1: And and you just you see less and less of that these days. But uh, um, so let's see. I think you went all over all of it. So, uh, um, I would love to get into the NFL stuff, but I think I'm gonna, I want to I want to bypass that so okay, we can get to me. the question. But I was told to ask you. And uh, dear listeners, this is again something that is visual. We're going to put a picture up over the screen for the video um uh, yeah it, it's you know, on my topic listed is pass interference that didn't get called against pitt in
0: 2003 yep was that interference justin yes it was there's a couple <laughs> things chris and i were talking about it i think you had stepped out uh we were off screen but um a couple things number one that is interference Number two, that's probably a little karma coming back around for Pitt because earlier in that game, I think it was third down. Um, I had a layout diving, air quotes, catch that I was given credit for that was prior to instant replay, which <laughs> is dating me a little bit. It's crazy to talk about these things. Uh, but had it been an instant replay era, it would have been overturned. Which okay, was, and, and so it was interference. What frustrates me is what I told Chris – is had I made that catch, we win the game, and for one day in my life, I would have outperformed Larry Fitzgerald at wide receiver. Wow! <laughs> but I did.
1: So to put it into context for the people, that was a fourth down play at the end of the game, right?
0: It's fourth down play, four minute offense. If we get that first down, we're probably Pitt never touches the ball again. Right? Yeah. KJ show the rest. Yeah. of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And he rushed for like
2: <laughs> oh, he set the record I
0: mean, it was that was like the time time. 10 yards right. or something. Yeah. And Julius Jones had just run for like two something against them earlier that year. Yeah. Wow. So yes
1: yes, that's right yeah so uh by the way in in looking this uh picture up in our media library uh we found an almost exact copy of it of bucky hodges getting interfered Ah. with in 2016 yeah it's a very similar (laughs) huh so the other thing i wanted to ask you about uh um is uh the gator bowl 2005 gator bowl yeah Uh, so your last game your last game yeah um uh did did uh for a little background for me did Hunter Cantwell start that game uh he did. He, he did he was their
0: backup Brom was the season starter Brom got uh I don't remember what his injury was but he was out for the year uh-huh.
1: yeah so what, what most Hokie fans who watch that football game remember about it boy there was a lot going on in that game you had the stomp you had Jimmy Williams getting thrown <laughs> early, out of the game early
0: early after they faked the punt yep. on the first drive of the game yeah he bumped
1: a ref or something yep. like that and yep. he got thrown out and so Tech had a comeback win, but we've got this Hunter Cantwell took a beating. And we've got this picture of uh of you and Daryl Tapp and Carlton Powell's on the way, but he's not quite there. Yeah. So we've got this picture of you and Daryl Tapp uh just plastering Hunter. This would be a flag. The flags would be flying everywhere. <laughs> I would
0: I would have been probably like not even allowed to put my name in the NFL draft.
1: You went in high on that. We'll put yeah. it that way. You that was,
0: and G- you and Jimmy would
2: have been sitting in the locker room watching the game on television. Yeah, both of it. us. Well, the thing
0: about that, before you move on, well, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's twice. Daryl Tapp, Virginia, two thousand two, when I blocked the Block punt, punt and he scooped it up because I just was not athletic enough. Like actually, what happened? Daryl Tap was playing that year. He was warm and lathered up. I was on the bench. I played on punt return. So I'm freezing cold. But Daryl Tapp collected my leftovers on that and it looks like Daryl Tapp's collecting Daryl Tapp in his career did a lot of collecting my leftovers. That's how, <laughs> how it looks to me. <laughs>
1: so so by that time, Cantwell had just taken a beating and, and he had he had he was he had a bloody nose. And it may have even been broken. I don't know. And they had shoved cotton up there. And there's a tiny little detail in the picture that the arrow points to. You literally knocked the cotton out of his nose on that play. You know,
0: what's, it. what's interesting about that is that really was the culmination of all the frustration that I just mentioned to you. Yeah. Like, in that moment, I was I was going into that bowl game was like, uh, my frustrations are coming out in this game. And then he tucked the ball and I'm like, is he, he's going to run he's not going to slide. And then it was just like, here's your moment. <laughs> Got nothing to lose with that moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <man. laughs>
1: uh, but you did wound up getting drafted. I mean, that's yeah. a great comeback story. That injury in the spring and a year later, you're drafted.
0: Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, I mean, miraculous. You know, I mean, that's it's a miraculous deal, um, in my opinion. But it also is, you're playing with guys that, I mean, when I say that I played with guys all around me that gave me – Made me look better than I was. We Duke had 35 yards of offense for the game yeah, against us that year. That. And I didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, I didn't the three, I had three interceptions that year. All three of them are, I'm fair catching a punt. Like I'm not, <laughs> and it's because the quarterbacks are under duress the entire game. There's no running game. Like there's, you know, I mean, uh, and I try to deliver that message to our players because that's so important. Like my NFL career happened because. <laughs> the guys around me were really good and we we vibe yes. we meshed and we gelled and they didn't let me veer off the course they kept me in the camp like i had a shot because of that and I, to me that's pretty powerful today for guys to understand even though it's a different time and you yeah know, you talk to them changed, and you hope they but, listen right yeah, yeah. And, you know
2: Hunter Cantwell went on to play in the NFL he did and he was a good player he was he, he was a good, good player. much
0: more of the credit than i gave him yeah well, you you uh, get
2: Oh, man, you remember that I remember you. that yeah, I remember you and I watching that game, and they kept showing his mom in the crowd, oh. like the TV, and I. And then you did that hit, and I. Well, they probably just, showed his mom. She right had after. just
0: overcome breast cancer too, right, like, right. and it, I felt bad when I watched the TV copy, like I did. I felt like, oh, that is bad, but she was good, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. so that part was. She good. knows the deal, but man, that's that's got to be hard to watch your son. <laughs> and that YouTube, you can pull up a YouTube clip. It's like a minute forty-five seconds of just Hunter Cantwell Gator Bowl, like bad day.
1: Oh man, I'm I'm so in torn the million, millions do that on that news now, and a lot of them are mine. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I can just see now the the video that we're going to put up on YouTube. I think we're going to find that video and put some of the clips
2: in it. Uh, another thing I remember about that game is Louisville had a cornerback named Rod Council, and Council had originally committed he was a tech, to tech decommit. Uh, uh, yeah, he got he got in trouble for stealing computers from his high school. Right. So we pulled his offer and he ended up at Louisville and then ended up huh. starting for, for Louisville. They had just, William
0: Gay, too, on that team yeah. you know, at DBA. Yeah, they, 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 were they, they, were, they were good. They, they were, were good. They had some good players. Sure. Michael Bush was a good yep. running back. Yep, sure was.
1: So one more thing I want to ask you about before we uh, take a break and get to reader questions is, uh, and, and this is something Chris wanted to cover, and I agree, um, there was a change in the chemistry and the mindset of the team from 2003 to 2004. Um that team was less than the sum of its parts in 2003 and then was a well-oiled machine in 2004. Uh, talk about that. What, what are your remembrances of that time and what happened?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it was, um, at least from my vantage point, you knew everybody that walked in our locker room, that walked on the practice field, that watched us play, you knew you had two really special players in D'Angelo Hall and Kevin Jones. You knew that they were really special. You knew that you had some other good players that were going to get a shot in the NFL, and you knew you had a really talented guy in Marcus Vick. You knew that this was a very talented guy. Um, And then there was Brian Randall that kind of was – he just – who we know as B. Rand, he was still carving that out a little bit. Like he hadn't taken the reins. He hadn't been the guy just yet. And I think a lot of guys on the team felt like they loved – Mark and love B Ran. Nobody I never saw anybody have issues with B Ran ever. And with Mark, the only reason that anybody ever had an issue was because he was a great trash talker. Like and that was it. That was the issue. He if he hit you with something, he was gonna tell you about it. And some guys were getting their feelings. But I think on the team there were certain guys that felt like maybe B Ran, like it was like maybe the offense will run a little better his way, the way that they playing to his strengths. And then there were some with Mark that was like You know, maybe he should be the guy. And then there were other people that were – maybe we should play them both. And I think the coaching staff, that's tough. As a coach now, sitting there assessing that situation, that's tough. Because what we knew about Brian Randall at the time was he's extremely charismatic. He's got the leadership characteristics. You can see that. But he didn't have any supreme skill. He was – really good at a lot of things, didn't have a supreme skill. Mark, you could see he had the natural flick. He had that, uh, and he had the athleticism. So I think that played into it, not from a division like guys didn't like each other, but from a which direction are we going with this. And then I think on defense, that was the year that I think Coach Foster really – made a decision at the end of that year. And I've talked to him about this, that he was going to adjust the structure, the infrastructure of his defense, Mm -hmm. the way he played his positions. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened was the perfect storm of those things, where you've got a good enough team to where when it all aligns, you can beat Miami that sets the record for first-round draft picks, 31-7 to out here, and it's never close, all game. Uh, And then you can lose your three games you need to win.
1: That defense by the end of the season was – Frankly put, terrible. They were giving up huge chunks of yardage and,
0: and And the the nail in the coffin was the way that UVA exploited the tight end matchup. Mm-hmm the last Mm -hmm. game of the year. That was the nail in the coffin. Heath Miller had like 13 catches. He was, And Matt Schaub was incredible. And they had a good team. And they were primed to beat us that year. Just the stars aligned. But what they were doing wasn't
1: hard. It was like 10 and 12 yard It was
0: easy dink and dunk. It was take what you can get in a run game. And if a big play presents itself, take it. If it doesn't, then just keep the ball. Uh, And then we jump off sides on the block punt. You know what I mean? At the end of that. But we didn't play well enough to win that game, period. I had an opportunity to make a play on a deep throw. You know, and just I didn't compete enough for the ball. It wasn't like a catch, or And it gets picked, where at worst it should have been an incompletion. And, you know, just things like that that happened all day. But anyways, I think everybody took a look in the mirror after 2003. I think it was like, okay, we had never – some guys had seen Mike Vick, you know, but you got one Mike Vick. And really, I mean, in humanity, there's never going to be another Mike Vick. There's one. So some guys had seen that, but it's not like you have two guys that you can see are not Mike Vick, but these are what first-round draft picks look like. We really hadn't witnessed that. There was a lot of attention that came with that. There was a lot of Michael or uh, Marcus Vick attention that was coming, a lot of what are they doing here, what are they doing there, just a lot of things that played into it. And everybody took hard looks in the mirror, and it was like the only way we can do this is we got to be all on the same page, pulling the rope the same direction. That's the way this thing has to go. Uh, If it doesn't go that way, then it's going to be like that, and we're not doing that. We're not not going about our business that way. We can't. And that was player-led. I think, like I said, the coaches looked in the mirror and restructured some things defensively. Offensively, we got more creative, and we got more weapons.
1: But And it had to have been, you know, bluntly put, a huge help that Marcus removed himself from the situation by getting dismissed from school for a year.
0: It at least cleared up your quarterback situation. Yeah. You've got your guy. Regardless of which guy it was going to be, you have your guy. And along with that, that guy got the brand-new toys of Eddie Royal, mm-hmm. of Josh Morgan, of Justin Harper, of Josh Hyman, along with David Clowney that we already had, Jeff King that was there, Jared Mazetta that was there. Like, you've got some pieces of people that – you know, what you lose is you lose Kevin Jones, that portion of the run game. But what you pick up is you pick up Mike Emo, Cedric Humes, that tandem, and then you pick up the receiver. So you're spreading the ball around. Yeah. And I think it was kind of a, an alignment of all things. And then, like I said, after we missed the field goal against NC State and uh, we're two and two going into the rest of the season. It was the players took a meeting Monday after Coach Beamer was done, and they said, this is the way it's going to be. Here's how practice is going to go. Senior Here's how- leadership. Yep. That's what it was. That's what yep. it was. And it was – I did not want to let those guys down, and I know that I speak for every other person that was not a senior or was not up there on that team when I say that.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah every great tech team throughout history, there's stories of great senior leadership. I mean, yeah. You can probably say that about just about any team out there. Yeah. Like the, the story of the 95 team that started 0-2 and Jim Barron standing on the chair in, lo- in the locker room and saying, we're not going to lose another freaking game this year. You know, there's stories like that, 95 team, 2004 team, uh, even, uh, oh gosh, what year was it, uh, 2010 team when they, when yeah. they started on going to. Yeah,
0: two. Uh, yeah and,
1: and that 99 team, uh, apparently some of the guys on the team were actually afraid of Corey Moore and maybe <laughs> Jamel Smith. you know? see
0: that. I know guys were afraid of J.C. Price. I've heard people say that. You know, I mean, and then Anthony Davis, Debo. Uh-huh. when I was here, you it's like, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if I want to mess around <laughs> <Don't> too much <laughs> with that guy. <laughs> all right, good stuff.
1: Uh, we are going to take a break and uh, come right back, and then we will get to uh, all of these uh, questions that we've got from folks on the message board. So we'll be back in a few. So welcome back into Tech Sideline Podcast 221 with our special guest, Justin Hamilton. You guys know who he is. I'm not going to run off the list of stuff he did with and for Virginia Tech. So uh, we asked questions on the message board, asked four questions on the message board yesterday. I did a little early. I did it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) That's why I got 120 responses. I should have waited until sometime last night. Uh, But I looked at them this morning, so let's get started on those. And a question that was asked by more than one person is you were named a uh, defensive coordinator in late 2019, early 2020, correct? Mm. Um, and then we know what happened in March of 2021. And so talk about the, you know, you're a relatively inexperienced defensive coordinator. You had some experience coordinating defenses, but relatively inexperienced. And you've got to install your defense, and COVID's going on. You don't get a spring practice. Players are out all the time. You know, talk about the challenge of, Getting and the personnel isn't necessarily what you wanted, you know, so just kind of go over all that for us and and what that was like.
0: Yeah. So uh, when the promotion happened, uh, well, first of all, throughout that season, um, I was never a part of you present these things to interview and, and show us why you should have this job. It was never anything of that. I was never preparing for it. Um, what I had done was since 2018 when I first got here, I had just looked at, okay, let me learn what Coach Foster's defense actually is, not just as a player. And then as I learned it, it became, okay, if you ever had the opportunity, here's things that maybe I would do a little bit different based off of my experiences either as a player or as a coach. And, that's, right. and I kind of built just for my own storage. And you were in
1: the NFL for two years with two different teams, so you also had that experience. That's correct. You were and the
2: – Romeo Cronell, Bill Belichick. I was. Ty Grantham was the
0: defensive coordinator, so there was a lot of 3-4 that was new for me. Um, And then actually I was in Cleveland for really uh, another offseason, so I had uh, two good years of learning that system as a player. Um, And then at VMI I was a part of two different 3-4 schemes that were new to me in coaching. So there were some new concepts and some new thought processes uh, that I had – been exposed to and there was some new personnel UVA wise the personnel was different than at VMI and then at Virginia Tech obviously so um, just kind of had developed some ideas of my own but the entire plan when I first was told hey you're going to be the guy for this job was okay there's a couple things about Coach Foster's system that I would want to adjust and this had been decided long before I ever got promoted that if I ever were doing it again One of them was the numbering system of coverages. And for Coach Foster, we got it and understood it. And it goes way back to the very beginning of a two high safety versus a one high safety look. And it makes total sense as long as you learn it that way. But for me, I felt like our kids we had a lot of young players, and they probably learn coverage from Madden terms more so than they do from these terms. That's exactly what I thought.
1: Heads are nodding. That's exactly what I thought. I never played it, so my I head's I thought our kids, nodding. like,
0: they understand the coverages. You could keep calling it what we called it, and they would understand it. But for guys coming in future, let's maybe just change that up. It was the same concepts. We just changed the numbering system to make it more traditional. Uh, And then we changed the names of um, a couple of positions, really more so um, because I was trying to let the rest of the staff know what we were trying to recruit. I know a lot of the questions would come up with the nickel position, what was the whip position, with the rover position, which what, was – What's a rover? Correct. But if exactly you call it a boundary right. safety, Yes, that's quick. all I yes. was trying to do. That was it. You know, that was – and the nickel was changed before me. I think Tory and Gray maybe did that. But that was before me. We were going to leave that. And that's really ultimately what I was trying to do, was update those and update a little bit of our linebacker fit stuff that we did just because for the linebackers it was consistent and it was excellent. It was obviously all of this stuff. Like I would say to myself at every turn – You do realize that you're talking about adjusting Bud Foster's scheme, right? (laughs) Like you taught, you realize this. And then I would just go back to everybody saying, if you ever get, you're put in a position to do a job, you gotta be yourself. You can't try to be somebody else. And that's, I just kept going back to like, if I just keep it the same way, then. There's nothing wrong with it, but I'm not going to be able to implement it, to adjust it, to correct it, to build it to the way he did, because I'm just trying to be like him. I'd have to go to him literally every day and say, what would you do here? And there's no originality in that to me. And it wasn't change for change sake. It was a couple of things. Well then, and when COVID, and it was new coaches coming in too. So even if we kept his same system, there were guys that didn't know the terminology, that right, didn't right. know the players they were coaching. And there were quite a few players that hadn't really played in the system that we were going to be counting on that with COVID that we didn't even realize. So. When that happened uh, with COVID getting the coaches out of the building, the players out of the building, I was probably the first one in America to press the panic button because I knew, <laughs> I knew like this is going to be virtually impossible if they don't even let Funny us Funny, you as should coaches. use the word
1: virtually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the accidental irony with that. But uh, it just became like, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're like, I don't know what we can do. I'm still, to this day, don't know how you install a brand new – even if it was the same old system for Virginia Tech, it was a brand new system for three coaches. Daryl Tapp played in it. He did not coach in it. Mm-hmm. I I mean – four coaches, excuse me, because Ryan Smith also. So that was before Jack. Like, I'm not quite sure how you're supposed to do that. <laughs> and then when you get back, basically it's how I imagine John Calipari – and really, I guess coach K to agree, do it to a degree. The one and done coaches, how their seasons feel, but it was their season in a week. It was like, we got these five players that four of them are freshmen that are high and they're going to play the game this week. And then next week, we're going to have who. <laughs> your next group of players and then it's like and obviously that's being dramatic but the point is you had no idea how to build cohesion and chemistry and an identity because the identities of the people that were there every day changed and it was like okay and I'm still to this day to the day I die I'll never use any excuses I'll never do that because everybody was faced with some kind of adjustment for COVID in some kind of way I think being promoted being recommended by bud foster who is a hero in coaching to me and being promoted into that spot and that's obviously blessings and very fortunate but after the fact a couple months in when you have the way that that happened i feel like that's the most difficult way that you could be promoted to follow a legend like i think that if if I, I'm probably unique in that respect.
2: And then you didn't even get to coach the first and games. then The first games against
0: UNC. And we had guys that, like, there was just a brand new crop of guys in mm-hmm. that one, too. Like, guys that we brought down there that ended up finding out they couldn't play. And guys that had been out – until the Friday, we could travel, getting to travel that you have to play. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it just, and then North Carolina's over there with the full stable of, you know, I mean, just quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, every- guys. Everywhere. Yeah. And, um, you know, that to me was. Uh, <laughs> I'd say if you cut me open, my first thought was probably like, I should just get COVID for the whole year. Like, <laughs> let me just do that. Uh, but serious thought was like, this is going to be really difficult. Like, this is going to be harder than I could have even imagined. And every week and, and God bless the coaches that were there and coach Fuente, the offensive coaches. I mean, everybody was graceful and gracious. Uh, and everybody tried to like shelter the blow from me knowing that, and I know i I'm, I'm like, I totally realized, mean, we, defensively, are we're, we're taking away. We're diminishing our chance to win games. And obviously, of all the people that were frustrated, I can promise you, no one was more frustrated than I was. And it, I didn't know what to do. I, every day, it was like, today, I've got to All my energy and all my focus has to be on making sure that we get through today with as minimal damage as possible. That was my entire mindset for the entire season, which is why at the end of the Virginia game, I sat at my locker in my chair. It was probably felt like 30 minutes. I don't know how long it was. But I know in my mind in that moment, I thought I will rally up if our guys want to go to a bowl game and do everything I can to coach him up and help him win that bowl game. But I don't know if I can right now, As you, if you ask me right now, I don't know if I can go another day.
1: And that makes me want to ask about that. Because when, when Fuente was on the podcast last July, we asked him about the decision not to go to a bowl game. And I understand it. Um, you just described what it was like, the tremendous – it's hard enough being a coach in normal times it's taxing enough through a whole season and then you get to the end of a COVID season and you're worn out and you're stressed and and he said that uh he wanted to do what the players wanted to do and the players i believe narrowly voted to not go to a bowl game correct
0: i don't actually know what the vote tally was but i know that it was majority rule and i know that was also prefaced with before you vote yes or no let's not do this we vote yes and then Fifteen people opt out. Right. If we're going to do this, let's do this. If we're not going to do it, let's not do it. So factor all that into the equation, which gets lost in the conversation, but should not get lost in it. Because yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt your question, oh, but the 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 bowl streak for me and my conversation, it is obviously obviously something that Virginia Tech should be proud of forever because it's the exact recognition and this to me is why it's so near and dear to all of our hearts it's the recognition of what we were striving for which was consistency in the very beginning for coach beamer he wanted a consistently high achieving product for his program and he achieved that to the point where he deserves a statue on the street named after him right by the stadium but bowl games were it was a bowl games are not the same as what they were and that's not mm-hmm. to to diminish it they're just not the same The experience is not the same. The, a lot of players, it's like the, it's not even so much like, I want to alienate my teammates. I don't want to play in the bowl. I don't have to. I'm above that. I'm better. It's, that's the, the clicky kind of cliche thing to do right now. That's the popular thing. Like it's almost like you're saying, I'm not a good enough prospect. If I play in the bowl game, Mm. like I'm so good, I don't have to play. That weighs into it a lot. And, for the guys that would have been – whether they were on the fence, I don't know who wanted to play in the bowl game or didn't right. with the players. I've never asked them. Um, but with the guys that maybe didn't want to play, then the guys that did, how many of those practices, like, is it that kid going to come with the mindset of, I really don't feel like doing this today, and the first thing that happens now he's in the portal. Or now it's – you know, there's a lot that weighs into it that – and for me, like I said, I, if our players – said, we want to play in this bowl game, I would have gotten up. And I say mustered up. The, I would have gotten up and gone and did my job. It wouldn't have been a dramatic thing. Like, you just suck it up and go do it. But if they – when they said – I thought in my mind, if they say they don't want to play, I'm as a former player, as an alum, as a person that has as much pride in this bowl streak as anybody. I'm not upset with them because, like, I think we're going to lose more than we win if we play this bowl game. That was my thought. I think these days with
2: a modern player, you know, most of these bowl games these days – compared to the old days, they're they're minor events, especially with the novelty of the playoff and how much how much focus gets put on that. Sometimes just for guys' mental state and for having a good off season, just send them home for Christmas and get they come back refreshed, get a really good off season in. Rather than I mean, I know the practice time, the extra couple of weeks of practice are valuable if they're bought into them. Right. If they're not bought into them, then they're worthless.
0: It's turned into the all star game approach where Mm -hmm. it's like everybody's there for the festivities Mm -hmm. and nobody's really there for the game. Mm -hmm. Like that's and I don't mean the players don't come to play hard. I mean obviously Maryland played hard. (laughs) That was obvious. Yeah. That's not my point, but it's just that you just you don't have it doesn't feel as much like a reward as it used to when I was a player. Comparing it to when I was a player, it felt rewarding. Like It felt like this is a reward, and it's not to knock the bowl sites. New York was awesome. New York was unbelievable. I mean, my family, my kids got to see New York. They're obsessed with Home Alone 2 and New York City. (laughs) My father-in-law got in a plane. He flew with us for the first time since he was flown back from being wounded in Vietnam. Wow. That's the no first kidding. time he's been on an airplane. Yeah, and the people at New York and in Charlotte too. I mean, it's been amazing the treatment we've gotten. It's just not quite the same, you know, and and that's not to diminish it or to justify anything. It's just to say that, and this is me speaking as an, a former player, not as a coach of that team. I just think it would have done more harm than good in given the circumstances. It,
1: it's interesting to talk about opting out and the portal. These are levels I didn't think about because of course it's down in the personnel level that you're really close to I was looking at it from the outside thinking decades hundreds maybe thousands of players dozens of coaches all built that and in in one vote it ended and that's how I thought of it but you make a very valid point
0: so and it's good. good to- that's fair perspective too, because I get that. Like, there's you were part of that. I was, but here's what the part for me. I think about is I was a part of it when it was already pretty good. I think about people that were a part of it when it wasn't that made it pretty good that turned it gave it a chance to be great. That I mean, we were on the cusp, and then after I left, it became great with the years knocking on the door uh, again. But that's. That's hard. It's hard for me to look those guys in the eyes and say that. Like that's it's difficult. But for me, I think too, as we get further and further removed from COVID, there's something to say that you were qualified for a bowl game. And I, I told our players, if you go to 27 straight, now again you start a new <laughs> streak, they'll go back to 2020 and put an asterisk on it, probably. Well, probably. and
1: that's actually part of the discussion that yeah. Virginia Tech will now say they've been bowl eligible for. 28 29 years whatever it is okay appreciate the thoughts on that so um uh, another thing fans really want to hear about well so one one more nuance to that whole question if you could go back and change one thing about your two years as defensive coordinators
0: is there a thing that you would change uh great question and it's a complex answer but Short answer would be yes. And it would be that once all of those things that I mentioned unfolded starting in March, and then realizing when our players came back and we didn't know our schedule, Mm. I would have gotten in my mind, we just would have had to dug in and said, look, here's our menu. Here's things that we can go from throughout the course of this year until further notice, until a bye week or until. And at that time, prior to knowing when our bye week was, had I known it was going to be 10 straight or nine straight, whatever it was we played, I would have definitely said, look, I know that this could be good against this offense, but we're going to have to go without it. Like we're just going to have to take less and hope our guys can do more with it because if not, we're never going to be able to get compound interest on these investments. And that so, was my fault so, why so we So you would have simplified things. I would <laughs> have simplified is the easy word, but it was week to week. We got to keep that in mind. Like hmm. one week you're playing – with um, Armani Chapman and Jermaine Waller. One week you're playing with Dorian Strong and Breon Murray. One week you're playing with Divine Diablo. One week it's Keontae Jenkins. It's Devin Taylor. It's like there was a, so you can't just say that there needed to be more, but based on who you have, you got to say, okay, here's the select menu for today. Here's Wednesday's menu or whatever, because here's what we got in the kitchen. And I still don't – I mean, it probably would have been the same types of results statistically. I don't know that that would have been better, but I would do that different looking back. I don't know much else because we went into the Duke game, and Thursday of that game, the game plan we just built with brand new players that didn't play against NC State got adjusted during practice when – four or five DBs get taken off the practice field Thursday yeah. prior to Saturday due. During the middle. Of, I mean, I don't, and, and I'm that, not quite sure Thursday. I have the blueprint for yeah. how you no. simplify things during that. <laughs> yeah. I right. appreciate
1: that answer. So the other thing people want to know is uh, current players still on the roster. Um, and, and they asked a slew of questions associated with that. And I'll give you all of them and, and le- just let you talk. Who was the most important defender last year? Who was your biggest hitter? Who are best players coming up that that people don't know about that will be big contributors? So just kind of address personnel. Some of it may be departed, you know, if you want to talk about guys that really helped you out last year. Mm -hmm. And some of it's guys, what can you look for coming up? What can tech fans look for coming up? Yeah,
0: well, a couple of the guys that people are going to know about that are unsung heroes to a degree, I always start with the front. I try as a, you know, a skill position looking. I don't have any skill, but I look like that I did. Uh, I try to start with the big guys up front because they feel like we don't ever appreciate them. And Josh Fuga and Narell Pollard are two guys that they're so good inside at communicating the game to each other and outside to the ends. Like they do a really good job within the it's first and 10 and the ball's at the minus 35 to you and I. It's a basic play. But they're talking about splits up there. They're talking about this guy's light on his hand or the tight ends here. Or he's off in this position. Like, they do a lot of that communicating. It goes unnoticed. Uh, that's really good. And they're not the only ones. You know, Jared Hewitt was that way too. But right. Norrell and Fuga are the most vocal of those guys. Um, And then outside, Cole Nelson is going to be a guy that Virginia Tech fans are going to love. You're going to have his jersey in your man cave, in your uh, ladies' cave. I'm not even sure what the ladies (laughs) call a kitchen, I guess. But uh, you're going to have a a Cole Nelson jersey because he is exactly what you want as a Virginia Tech Hokie. In every way, he's going to be one of those guys. uh, Hopefully he stays healthy. Um, Jaden Keller is a guy that if he'll just do his part, Then he's he's got the tools to be a stud. Um you know besides that, DJ Harvey is a guy that's a little bit probably unsung, that uh he does not have typical your DB that's gonna go out and run a 4 2 or 4 3. He's not gonna be a guy that he doesn't wow you with his physical appearance, uh, but is a very savvy football player. He's he reminds me in a lot of ways of Cody Graham. Not quite as big, but just Cody is kind of like he just understands sports. He Cody understands.
1: could also cover 10 yards faster than anybody else.
0: And he else. has short area quickness. DJ is the yeah. same way. It makes him solid as a punt returner, too. He can adjust to the ball quickly. He can make one miss quickly. Uh, this high school blitzer, was insane. Very good yeah. high school player that played a lot of positions. So what
1: has held DJ in particular, because we're kind of intrigued with him, what has held him back from getting more playing time so
0: far? Uh, there was a time during the year that the thought was, you know, is he? do we play him four and redshirt him? Do we do we play him this year? You know, how much can he contribute on special teams? What's going to play with that? Uh, the typical wear and tear of a freshman year, mentally and physically, and then having Dorian Jermaine Waller and Armani Chapman, you know, with Breon Murray, who's got a lot of game reps. Sometimes you just end up stuck in it like that, and, and that's really where DJ was. I mean, we have had our eye on DJ – since the not necessarily the very beginning, we knew he was a good player. and Had never seen him, signed him sight unseen. He committed to us sight seen but didn't see any of us. So there was a lot of mystery in it. And, uh, you know, we just started realizing, like, this kid learns fast. He's got instincts. He understands leverage and angles and kind of those things. Um, Keontae Jenkins is another guy like that. Keontae is gifted. He is a special, special talent, God-given ability. Uh, you know, just throw. If I tell our guys all the time, or tell people all the time, if you throw as a DB coach, my arm stinks, but I throw the ball a lot. And if I have 15 guys in a line, I can throw the same ball 14 times in a drill. And When it gets to Keontae, I've got to like load up and get my back foot and back hip in the ground and unleash it. Because if I throw it like I do to everybody else, it's like he's standing there drinking a coke. Is that all you got, coach? Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. I mean, you've got to un. And when you when for me, I unload it it's like he's now catching it like everybody else in the other. And so there's some skill and tools in that. And there's some guys I'm sure I forgot to mention, but there's some there's some talent now. The cupboard is certainly not bare. It's guys that got to grow and develop. But uh, stacked with a couple of other recruiting classes and then how you supplement your roster with transfers in uh, the portal or JUCO, it's got a chance. Uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about
1: Narell Pollard and Josh Fuga like that because I'm just not surprised to hear you single them out. Just from the, see, seeing them in practice and, and seeing seeing Norrell's progression in particular it, when when he's gone from scheme to scheme and maybe hasn't been a good fit this year, a better fit that year, that kind of thing. He just seems like he works really hard at it, and Fuga seems really enthusiastic. From the and,
2: outside looking in, they've always seemed like the right type of guys. I'll
0: yeah, just put they, they that care way. about their they, craft. They, and they love they football. Are both uh, And I love both of them. I love Norrell Pollard, maybe uh, – I don't know. I'm probably being hyperbolic right now at this point, but I love Norrell Pollard. And the reason, as much as I've, any player I've ever coached, the reason why is he's the same guy always. It's whether he's talking to us on this TV. Like these lights and this set has, it, you're going to have to bleep him, Like you're going to yeah. have to edit them. And same yeah. way he talks to his dad, his professors, the ladies in the cafe. It's just, that's who he is. It's not to be a fr- uh, front or to be tough. That's just, I'm Norrell Pollard. And when you talk to me, This is what you get and it's every day always the same and i love that i look forward to that day (laughs) i love that about him
1: all right so let's go over uh, another thing people asked about is your thoughts on you were here uh since 2018 so you saw the facilities evolve you saw the new weight room you saw the new uh, nutrition center student athlete performance center um i assume you've seen what's going on with the players lounge Mm -hmm. um So talk about the facilities and what I specifically wanted to ask you. There are facilities that matter in recruiting and then there are facilities that matter in the day to day. Like I, my specific question for you is how much does a players lounge really matter? I know it matters in recruiting, but they really spend much time there once they get here. So talk about that
0: stuff. (laughs) Great question and great perspective on it. Uh, For me, what matters in recruiting is when a prospect pulls up to your campus They have to – their first impression, they've got to – they're going to, whether it's what you want or not, put you in a bucket with other places they've seen. You're going to be in the Ohio State, Penn State, Alabama, Clemson bucket. You're going to be in whoever's next bucket or you're going to be in the bucket over here. That's what they do in their minds.
1: You can't get recruits on facilities, but you can lose them on facilities. You can.
0: And to me, that is – it's so funny. And it was always part of my pitch – was we have these facilities you know we do we have every resource in the day-to-day it comes down to inside of those is it a facade or is there the actual existence of resources that you need every day to go be your best at the things you want to be your best at uh, and for why you came here are those resources inside of that building and if they're they are then great if they're not then great but for me The next thing that I go to is just look at a beautiful indoor, right? Beautiful weight room, beautiful player's lounge. You know, the player's lounge would be the, the place where the player's lounge matters. But for us, the player's lounge was where our laundry turn in was. So we were always in and out of there. So now it was it was a classy setup. It wasn't like you just had dirty clothes in the players' lounge, but you went past there to get your clothes when they were clean. You had your locker and pulled it out, and then you put them in the bin for Lester and his guys right by so you're always right by there now it's not necessarily in your your ABCD flow day to day, so you got to go out of your way to go there, but it is nice like they put the things in it, but for me, as a player when i was done in the building i always watched film of whatever the reps were my reps or the opponent before i left once i left i didn't want to be in the building for anything i don't care what we got in there i want to be out of that building until i got to be back in it so that was for me but the facility part for the prospects the next place i would go would say okay yeah this is all beautiful it's all lovely when you're in this indoor you're not as a player here it's not man what a nice beautiful it's you got work to do. Like you got this many hundred yard sprints to satisfy the strength coach, what he's got for your day. Or you've got this many pl- prowler pushes, or you've got this many. And then when you go to the weight room, it's not like, man, look at this unbelievable. It's like, I got four sets of 10 on back squats today that I really don't feel like doing. And you step into the platform, it that weight feels just the same as when I was in the dungeon, the yeah. old, before even the, the, uh, Merriman weight room the one before that the weight feels just the same and it hurts all the same and when I'm done I don't want to go in there I don't want to go show my friends like check out our weight room look I'm like I don't want to be in there unless I got to be in there so uh, you know there's those elements and that's not I try to tell them to these facilities they might get you like to put us in the bucket of people you are considered, but they're not going to keep you here now. When it comes down to you roll your ankle or uh, the girl you like doesn't like you or you bomb a test or this coach you feel like has it, this facility is not going to keep you here. So, like, they're good. They're nice, just like your house. However nice your house is, that ain't what makes it a home. So, like, we need to understand that on the front end of because all this stuff could be taken away in a matter of seconds if, you know, who – God forbid, or if somebody says, I want my money out of this, tear this down, build this, or whatever. Yeah, the
1: the phrase is gilded cage. You know, it can be a beautiful place, but if good things aren't happening inside, then it's still a cage. There
2: has to be substance to go along with the style, for sure. I like that term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What do, uh, you know, that said, what makes a recruit's eyes go, wow, look at that, when they visit Virginia Tech?
0: Uh, Certainly the indoor, certainly the nutrition facility, all the new stuff, the weight room, like it does that. And it gives them um, you're presenting what happens in these places while you're in these places. So I think that's that creates a visual of you're actually visioning, envisioning yourself being a student or being a parent of a student that day or in that moment. That's always good. Um, You know, I think. For Virginia Tech, the tough thing is the best facility we have to sell is Lane Stadium at a home game. Yeah. And that's the least time you get to spend with the prospects. Um, so I think it's important in those settings that whatever is your best you have to sell, that – you just are creative. I think that it's creative how they created the um, the tunnel, the walkway that plays in the sandman. man. a little annoying when your office is right by there and the motion sensor is not adjusted every time somebody walks by. But I think that's a cool feature and a cool touch when you walk in and you see Chris Fowler's quote with the stadium so right we're, there. So we're
1: talking about the tunnel between the nutrition center and castle where they're taking pictures lately? Sorry, or?
0: no, this is the tunnel between the, uh, the locker room and the coach's office, excuse me, the coach's offices into the player's lounge. Yeah. Where you go. So you walk through there and inner Sandman kicks in from yeah, a motion when, detector? Yeah, when you got his it, lights that. and everything. Yeah, yeah, like it's a cool little deal, but it's got to be like, you can't just <laughs> have it on a regular day when it's just people work because it just will wear you out. Like you start not liking inner All Sandman, which is a bad <laughs> thing. <laughs>
1: uh, good stuff. Um, so what are the uh, – clearly, you know, in-state recruiting is always a, uh, a big topic. Um, uh, and, and this is kind of two different questions. What are, what are the in-state recruiting challenges? Um, how have players changed in recruiting since, since you were a recruit? This is a huge topic. You could do a yeah, whole yeah. podcast on it. Um, it. Virginia Tech needs to... It, it's funny, no matter what, how well you recruit in-state, you always need to be better. You know, if you get two of the top ten, you should get three yeah. or four, that kind of thing. Um, so what are, what are the challenges in this day and age for Virginia Tech football? Uh, because clearly they were doing a very good job recruiting in the early, mid-2000s. What, what are the challenges to getting back there?
0: Uh, it's definitely it's, – it's just a different time. You know, I think what was masterful – in Coach Beamer's time here of how he recruited was they, they created, like, we are your hands-on program in the state of Virginia. They, they created that. I mean, it was like at the time I didn't realize it. I had no idea. But looking back now and just evaluating it and observing it, when the high school coaches clinic was going on, however many coaches were here for that amount of time, they felt like they owned this place, like they ran it. Uh, they clearly didn't, but they felt that way. The ladies' clinic, I was a part of a couple of those. The ladies in the time they were here felt like they owned this place. Uh, the high school um, administrators that maybe were alums or have kids that went here, graduated from here, they all felt like they had hands-on in it. And, you know, the campus community campus is always going to feel that way. Right. Season ticket holders are always going to feel that way. But Coach Beamer built a you-actually-affect-the-game mentality. And it – Showed it trends like I believe about Virginia Tech fans. Virginia Tech fans truly believe that they help shape the outcome of the game at home games, they and at away games, depending on you know some places where we go in and it's Lane Stadium, east, north, southwest, or whatever. Mm -hmm. That the fans really bought into that, Charlotte's film, and that's (laughs) and that's true. It's definitely uh, effective in Lane Stadium. With that comes. Everybody wants to be a part of it. So I think in the beginning, there's some people that you've got to turn away when maybe it's not the nicest thing to do. You, I can't take your player. Or you do take a couple. I think that happens everywhere. Um, I think Coach Beamer left out of Virginia Tech. I think um, Al Groh left out of Virginia. Mike London left out of Virginia, which kind of left them in influx a little bit. You bring a guy in that's from Oklahoma and that's coming from Memphis – that doesn't quite, un- he understands it clearly. He knows the landscape, but he doesn't, he hasn't been in the chair doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's difficult. Then it'd be, as that's happening, more people are coming into the state to recruit because not only is the state uh getting more cred, but it's also, it's not like a it's far easy. trip. Yeah, you All have right. access. So I think it was a perfect storm in that regard. Uh, but the bottom line, what it boils down to is what I take away from it is if you, you're going to miss, it's like, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. You're going to miss on prospects and recruiting. You've got to miss in your footprint. Or if you go outside of your footprint to take a guy over someone in your footprint, you can't miss. And that's easy to say. And if I could do that and just get those things done, I'd probably make $30 million a year being the head coach somewhere for every year for the rest of my life. Like, I'd sign the contract or make the contract but that's ultimately what it boils down to with these community feels and and recruiting rivalries and sometimes the fan base or your recruiting fan base whoever that is value a player off of what they've heard other people say about him and not the actual so when you don't recruit a player that they want you to recruit there's that and that's you're never going to make that perfect you're never going to make everybody happy the bottom line is if you win enough people will fall back you know if you win enough
2: uh, you know i always tell people Michael Vick was the number three player in the state and Virginia Tech beat out Syracuse and East Carolina for him. The Michael Vick of twenty twenty two, if such a guy existed, Virginia Tech would have to beat out Penn State and Florida and Alabama and Ohio State and everybody. It's just it's changed so much. Oh, even for you, Justin, you were a top five player and Virginia Tech had to beat out Tennessee. Now it would be I mean Florida would be all would be all over you. Auburn, I mean Penn State, everybody this side of the Mississippi. It's just... Yeah, it's totally different. Yes, it's it's more national in scale. And and the fact that these guys, it, it's just easier to access. I mean, you could go on huddle, like the coach's version of huddle, and get these guys yeah. full game film these days. And, and you don't have to rely on somebody just mailing it to you. Well, and here's <laughs> you know? the other
0: thing that happens, because that's a great point, and this is for really coaches everywhere, just trying to speak on their behalf, is you have situations where it's like, okay, um i'm at virginia tech and i'm calling seattle washington i don't know i'm just picking it somewhere really far yeah. away and they've got a kid i saw on huddle like his film don't know anything about him I have no idea i know that i clicked on his link and that's what popped at least i think it's him i don't even know that it's him <laughs> and i tell him or tell his high school coach yeah i liked your film you know about virginia tech oh yeah well you got an offer i don't know anything about the guy I have mm. no idea. Tell him mm. he's got an offer, he tweets it out, you know, and all this stuff and this and that. Well, that's no problem. Like, if that kid and I never talk again, it, whatever. If he ends up being a player, great. But when Washington and Washington State go in there, now the coach has got to say, Virginia Tech just – they came all the way out here, air quotes, to offer him. What's wrong with y'all? Why are you dragging your feet? And they're not offering him because they don't want to miss because, it's like, we can't miss on this guy, him in our right. footprint. And then he goes back to his friends and it's like – my experience was terrible. So now, hey, it's an easy flight to USC, or it's an easy, like, yeah. that's, that's what
2: you get. That's what yeah. happens. It's a lot more dominoes these days. Yeah.
0: What's dominoes? And it's the, if you're not boots in the ground in these places, at least in my own opinion, your offer doesn't matter at all. Right. Like, right. at all until it's then, we it happens in Virginia. You go to school in Virginia, you know, all about a kid. You haven't offered him because you're not quite sure that it's what's best for you and for him. Mm-hmm. And, Notre Dame or Michigan or offers they call and they, Hey, you got an offer. It's like, well,
2: it could be as simple as he doesn't fit your scheme maybe. And he fits their scheme, but then
0: if you don't take him, you get criticized. Or it heavily. could be as simple as they're just saying, Hey, you got an offer. And by the way, when we say offer, we're not talking about like this kid has his senior video for all of right. us to it. We're talking about a kid that's a sophomore, right? Like right. that's, you know, the the like, yeah. 2,000 miles away, if it works out, we look like geniuses. Great. If it doesn't work out, somebody else's problem. Right. Now, the people that are 20 miles away, if it doesn't work out for you when you don't offer him this team did, it works for him. Now you missed out on this blue chip kid you could have got when he was mm-hmm. a sophomore, but you offer him, and that team goes away because he's not good enough, and there he is, and you sign him. So now you sign one that you know, and – at least your evaluations tell you he's not good enough for us to win. So now you got to over-recruit him or out-recruit him, and you just came with a disgruntled player in your locker room and whoever else – and that's just – so you got to be super careful. But every step that you take pretty much, somebody has access to it to where they right. can talk about what you did in your day in recruiting. You can tweet where you've been now. So it's like that's very you're getting evaluated all the time.
1: So let's uh, let's dish on uh, teams around the ACC, and this is a slew of questions. What offenses you faced in the conference were the toughest? Who are the best pure football coaching staffs in the ACC? Who'd you like beating the most? Mm. And uh, who has the best visitor facilities? Oh, in terms of when you guys travel somewhere. And you got your locker room that you go into, yeah. You know, so, and who has
2: the worst? I remember, I guess, back when you were a player, the visitors' locker room at Duke was way off. It, in still, a different is. Field. it, it still, still is. It still is. Still a long
0: walk, yeah. And well. it's, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> But let's start with the person. Which which offensive coaching staff? It, clearly, it's it, the Jimmys and the Joes are hugely important. But which offensive coaching staff presented the biggest challenge for you in your couple of years as defensive coordinator? Man. Or is it
0: hard to separate that out from the – Well, you know, to separate it out would just be to look schematically at what was really difficult. And I know I'm going to leave some people out. um, But the ones that come to mind, it's always the ones with really good players. Like that certainly helps. But Liberty was – Liberty was a pain. It was – you know, they were the offense. Obviously, they've got a – High caliber quarterback that I knew going into that game. I'm like, this guy's going to be the best player on the field. Who's committed to Virginia Tech? At hey, one uh, point? I did not know that until like leading into really? that game. They're yeah. uh, in the Arkansas comeback. Uh, at the belt bowl, he decommitted. I That's right, it was in the middle that. of the game. I didn't know yep. that at all. Yeah, like wrong with you, know, man. everything <laughs> was going wrong for Virginia Tech at that oh, point. Man, <laughs> that was like wow, had no idea. But, anyways, uh, it, they people spread you out. They we know that we've heard the term spread offense. Bottom line, what it amounts to is they align wider than they used to to make you define how you're going to defend those places or the in between. That's what it all boils down to, and a lot of times defensively. You know, there's the stress factor of, like, you can't just leave a guy uncovered. Our 11 are going to play against these 10 and not him. But it, there's also a lot of times the quarterback just is not going to get the ball out to these splits. They're not going to believe in him, and he could. He had a comeback throw on a play that Khan. I can't remember what point in the game it was. It was going towards the south end zone on the visitor's side. And it was an inside fade or a switch vertical route and a comeback off of it. And the throw he made on that play, if you go look it up, it's like there's not much you can do to defend that's that area of the field unless you're going to sacrifice what's inside. Mm -hmm. And when you sacrifice what's inside, they're going to bury you with the run game. And that's everybody tries to do that, but you got to have that guy and everybody that I'm going to mention. That's what they had. Sam Howell was that way. Kenny Pickett was different because he's in a different style of offense, but he has unbelievable command of the offense he's in. Malik Willis, unbelievable command of the offense he's in. Sam Howell, unbelievable. And by command, they just know what the coordinator wants them to do. They know where to get the ball. They know how to get the plays in. They know how to be calm. They're the coach in the middle of the huddle or in the middle of the the scatter when everybody's not huddling now. They're hard to defend, and what adds to that is when there's a – running threat a legitimate running that's not the quarterback mm. when you add those things to the mix like pit you go into that game plan with our personnel and what our personnel did well this year you're gonna have to give up 200 yards rushing to give yourself a chance to win that game you're gonna have to that's it's not if they want to run it that much if right. as long as they're committed boston college in 2020 If they had stayed committed to the run game, it probably would have been a very similar outcome to this past year. They just didn't commit to the run game. I don't know why. They moved the ball on us early. They fumbled. The offense did a great job. I remember that. They were very pass-happy. But they were – it was throwing the ball. It was – they threw two or three picks, and it was, you know, two fumbles, two fumbles for sure. But it was like they just – I mean, I'm in the first half talking to the guys on the headset, like, are they just not going to run the ball again? Like, are they done running the ball? And when that happens, when a team's one-dimensional, great. But I learned that term against ODU in 2018 because that team was very one-dimensional. And that one-dimension was better than our one-dimension. They are very good that day. And for that day. For that yeah. day, they were. But it's like uh, just going through the roster of guys that we try to defend, It's it's been – I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I ironically, felt like was not that difficult to scheme against. You just – knew that he's really good. Gonna Travis Etienne is really good. Like, yeah. they're going to execute, and they're really good. But it was schematically wasn't crazy. But to me, probably the best, if I had to say one that was the very best, man, I would probably – this is going to – I don't know how this is going to be received. But the very best, just pure coaching staff that gave me the most headaches was Virginia. Yeah. That was – they did an unbelievable job with the kids that they had getting them in position, teaching them the multiplicity within the offense and creating roles for them. Like it was, I thought they did an unbelievable job uh, and it's, Mind-boggling to me that of my four years here, the one time they beat us is our 2019 team. <laughs> of all the teams in my four years, right. that's the ones. Yep. Bryce Perkins, obviously, but but they were difficult. That, yes. That's interesting. Because they were, Virginia, I thought they did an awesome job.
2: It's interesting because Virginia fans, g- generally speaking, hated their offensive coordinator. I know.
1: Of course, everybody. Hates well, everybody hates the offensive coordinator. Absolutely, so. <laughs> um, absolutely. Even Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Even Georgia. So who 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 had
0: the best visitors locker room and who had the worst? Best visitors locker room. It's hard because Yankee Stadium's fresh in my brain. Yankee Stadium's immaculate in every way. We're in the home locker room though. Right. Uh Best Visitor locker room. It was probably like your Miami, your pro stadium. Uh right. the Dolphins. That was go or uh that stadium. Um I don't know. Virginia's is not bad. I keep showing Virginia love. They're not bad. <laughs> uh, North Carolina, 2018. It was a miracle that happened. 2020, I wanted to forget. So I don't even remember that place. You blotted that out, I don't huh? even remember it. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't really know. They all seem kind of the same to me.
1: Is is it UNC that you like to beat in the most, or absolutely, or, yeah.
0: absolutely? Ryan Smith and I we talked about it before he left to go to Northwestern, and it was like, and we did a true like, not just emotion like the action, but the one that's a low key big win that he and I talked about was Louisville twenty twenty. That was like that was a talented team. They were a big we play team, yeah, yeah, and they it was. Were. Like if we had had to play for another two or three minutes, and I don't think we could have recovered like six you, more on-side onside. You I could guess. never have them down by no enough points. No, yeah. And yeah. at the end of the first half, that's like a that's a whole other podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's another
1: one that could be a whole other podcast. Why do modern players struggle so much with tackling? <laughs> how has targeting changed the game? When do they get to practice it? I mean, I was talking about. So you played
0: 20 years ago and you're coaching now. Talk about the differences. I played 20 years ago and that's being kind. I mean, it's, you know, getting close to like almost 30 years ago. And before that, when I was seven, eight, as I mentioned, being a ball boy, it was rugby like the Seattle Seahawks heads up no helmet to every day of your life.
1: Yeah. Like elementary school. Every
0: day. Every elementary school. I'm talking about as a kid. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about as an eight year old where I'm Mm -hmm. running around, we're tackling to the ground. I mean, we're just smacking each other. And then, you know, in high school, it was like practice was I remember having a collision with one of our linebackers, big guy that was a heavy, like just a heavy shoulder, just dense guy. And I had, I mean, we smacked like a guaranteed concussion. And there was like a bruise on my forehead, which was – and it was like a badge of honor when I got in the locker room. I mean, that was like you made it when you – like that, I was proud of that. And it's barbaric to talk about now, but we tackled every day of our lives. Like that's all we did. And now there's one, no way to practice it. You can practice it. If you practice it the way you need it to go out and win championship-level football games in the Power Five consistently – you're going to get fired three days into your practice. You'll never make it to game day. And then, okay, so how do we practice? You can't make excuses. So you've got to simulate it as best you can. And there's equipment that's out there and there's these things. and But it's pretty hard. I mean, when you think about, you know, we're watching um, just, just go to North Carolina with the two backs in 2020. And it's like the obvious thing. I'm watching football as a fan. Whoever else is playing, just like our fans, I'm sure, where it's like, Make a tackle. Make that tackle we can't tackle. And they're right. Like, I'm saying the same thing. But it's like, how many times has whoever it is been in a real situation where he's had to bring something like that that doesn't want to go to the ground Mm -hmm. down to the ground? I mean, these kids, they're not familiar with it. It's amazing to me how many times, and you pull up film, you can watch it all the time, you see a kid who has every physical feature you need to arrive at the play, that it's like, uh, Ricky Bobby don't know what to do with his hands. It's like, they don't know <laughs> what to do with their head. Like they're
2: like, which, where, do you where does your this head? go? Yeah. Right. Which side of the body is it going? Which,
0: absolutely. and it's not even like coach said, get it here. Coach, they just haven't been in that situation. I can go right now. My, my kids, my eight and six year old, I'm a big punching bag. Like that's all I am when I'm at home. They just beat me to death, but I could go form tackle them right now, just like I did when I was eight years old. Like I was doing it on the playground you know right. when teachers were like you guys got to calm down you're getting too rough sure. it's too in touch and they just so we wrap it and practice it but what that's changed that you don't get to practice it and what's also changed is by and large those guys that we were tackling 20 30 years ago They're a lot better, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and everybody 20, 30 years ago was putting nine of those 11 guys right here in this five-by-five box and two of them out there, where now there's three or four out there, and when they get the ball, it's like there's a whole lot of grass between you and your next guy, so there's a lot that goes into it that's – not to make excuses. It's difficult, but it is a good argument for why when we talk to officials, like at least change some of these rules. Yeah. Like don't make everything for the offense, because we're already battling enough. <laughs> like give us something. Make <laughs> offensive pass interference, however long he is down the field on his route, make it a spot foul and back him up that right. far. Yeah. Or, or like, call
2: offensive face mask every now and then. Give us or offensive like, targeting. Yeah. When these right? big backs when the, their put their heads down, down there's anything. nothing you can do
0: about it. Or when a defender Jermaine Waller. Watch the play where Jermaine Waller's returning the interception against West Virginia at the end of the game. Watch how he gets blindsided. Yep. Had the receiver that hit him been a defensive player, that receiver oh. would have been out for the rest oh, of that no. game and half the next one. Yep. Yeah. So uh... – um, I kind
1: of missed this drama I saw people talking about it on the message boards. Why did you deactivate your Twitter
0: account briefly last fall? So that's a great question. I'm so <laughs> proud to answer that. Like, I'm going to sit up <laughs> like we talked about our posture. Okay, so year. I wasn't sure about Thursday that. Thursday of the North Carolina game, Thursday night. Thursday during the season is family night. That's so, but, or not actually Thursday. Are we talking Two about days that? prior to. Prior to, okay. I forgot we played them on a Monday. Is that right? or a Friday y'all put up on a Friday Play so this would have been a Wednesday two days what's normally a Thursday your normal Thursday routine we're done in the office early you get home you get the kids off the bus and like you. for me I get a chance to go through my call sheet by myself get a haircut like it's a, a relaxed day and in the process of that I thought Here we are, like I was sitting in the chair where I got my first, like felt like I made it as a coach, got my first like you stink at your job emails and texts where I'm like, oh, okay, so this is really what it's like. Back in 2020, we're getting ready to play Carolina, and I thought, you know what, shut down your Twitter. Shut down Twitter. Like just get off Twitter before anything even happens this season. Get off of Twitter. And I thought about it like, I don't know, like you got a lot of recruiting that you can do, like a lot of stuff on there that is valuable for and bounce back and forth. And it was like, dude, every recruit, like if you got to have Twitter to, to get these recruits at this point, you haven't done a good job recruiting them. You got their number, you FaceTime, you zoomed a million times. Like you don't need Twitter to recruit, like recruit the old school way where you take your mobile phone and you go do it, you know, and just. Let's get rid of it. So, Friday, we're getting ready to get on the bus to go to the hotel. Not Friday, but the day before the game. We're getting ready to get on the bus to go to the hotel, and I was sitting on the team bus to travel to Hotel Roanoke, and I just wiped it. Thought whatever happens this season, good or bad. And I, the day after or the night of the game, actually, uh, I was just kind of in routine, went to Twitter, not even thinking, just like blindly grabbed my Twitter app. to, And I was like, oh, that's right. I de- mm-hmm. de- deactivated Twitter, and then I was like, man, I'm so glad because I knew I watched the film and it was like as good as I felt. Like, this is unbelievable, the passion, the effort, the energy, the resilience, the electricity in the stadium. Like, it was, I mean, it's a Mount Rushmore moment as a coach for me, but I just looked at it and was like, we're we're not as good as what we're going to be told we are. We got a chance to be better. We got a chance to be good enough to help us win games. I don't, we're not going to be nearly as good as people are going to tell us we are. So I was thankful that it happened before the best moment maybe of the whole season for me personally that I was gone before then rather than after something traumatic, which is a part of too. Like coming on here, I want to come on after things that don't go my way. Everybody talks about you got all these the 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 rise and the me what what do you look like? Who are you when you're sitting in a place right now when things aren't quote unquote going your way. And that's right. important to me. And I just wanted to I didn't feel like it helped me do my job. I didn't feel like that it was going to allow me to do the best that I could for the kids that I coached, so I cut it off. So I think there was a perception that
1: something happened, that somebody said something to you and you quit in a snit, but that wasn't it at all. I mean, I did
0: the thing in the summer, and I don't have any qualms about that. You know, when I went engaged, and I knew. Like, I'm sitting in my house in Clintwood, and I knew, like, dude, you're about to engage with. The random fan public, like no, 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 no. <laughs> so it, it wasn't was, some not an emotional Not rant at all. Off not the, at all. Off it off was yeah. I'm going to back the head coach I played for, and I'm going to back the head coach I worked for, and right. I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to say things people don't like, and I don't care because I'm going to back both of them in ways that they should be backed and honored. In my opinion, no matter your opinion on Coach Fuente, Coach Beamer, everybody's got the same opinion. Nobody's opinion is going to change in that. And I didn't want anybody's opinion to, to change. But I will say that Coach Beamer persevered through some up-and-down times no, to be by. who he is. You don't get a statue unless you make it through hard times. And we got to acknowledge that because I believed in the guy that hired me to do the job I was doing. And I wanted to support him, and I wanted the world to know I supported yeah. him. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what this question is in reference
1: to. Who won the fight on the sideline during the 2004 WVU game?
0: I don't remember that.
1: Okay, so I just yeah, asked a question. Yeah, we won the with, game. I'm good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I just asked a question It landed with a dull thud.
2: I don't I don't remember a fight on the nah, side. Nah, 2003,
0: side. 2003 <laughs> up there, Ugh, the couch game up there, that was not. I don't even remember in that deal. Like, I don't think it was a player fight. We had some things, you know, there we had. There was no some...
1: context to that question at all.
0: The only thing I remember about the 2004
2: West Virginia game happening on the sideline is. uh. Who, oh, it was uh, Pac-Man playing for him, Pac-Man Jones. And I remember him coming over to the Tech uh, bench. I mean, you know, he was lining up as a cornerback. So he was playing – I remember his he was playing right corner, so he was lining up right over the wide receiver, and he was just running his mouth to the he, Tech bench the whole time. And I I thought they were going to have to pull Charlie Wiles off the field. <laughs> uh, no, uh,
0: Pac-Man uh, is probably the best trash talker I've ever witnessed. And he I was a it. savage animal that could play. Now, when I first yep. saw him, I'm like, this dude just yaps. So was, I'm like, no, he can actually play. Mm-hmm. And he was—he <laughs> never stopped talking.
2: He uh, got into professional wrestling for a while. That was probably yeah. a good, good job really? for someone with his mouth. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, last the ultimate softball question. Somebody wanted to ask. Wanted me <laughs> to ask you. Do you know how much Hokey fans love you? You know, uh,
0: that's an interesting one for me because, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I have felt the love in four years here. um, And despite what a lot of people might think, it was an amazing part of the journey. I mean, I got to come back and have a wife and two kids that I got to take around. Like, this is where I lived when I went to school here. And this is, like, where our locker room was. And here's – they got to come to games. I mean, my son, who I guess would have been six, is basically the first like real person, not just the C, after the 2019 North Carolina game. That after all that happens, I'm looking for my family, and there's my six year old son. Like I got to have that moment at Lane Stadium, you know, and that and my daughter, we brought another child into the world. I mean, just giving blessing after blessing, getting to meet so many people like that I didn't know that that were before or after or whatever that when i played here um i mean i always felt the love and i always love back but i always did realize though like there's going to probably be a little bit of conflict in this because i don't know if virginia tech fans or or coaches or former players realize this but like you guys raised me up to be like I'm going to tell you how I feel <laughs> like I'm going to I'm going to speak my mind and I'm going to have reasoning it's not going to be blurted out I'm going to but I learned that from Hokies like I didn't mm. I didn't know that when I got here I knew like you just do what people ask you or tell you to do and try to do it the best you can I didn't realize like no like we don't make apologies that we don't have these facilities and we're crashing the BCS National Championship like we're not going to apologize to you that we come into the league that you didn't want to let us in. We win it and then we own it. Like we're just, and we're doing it our way. Like we're not going to do it the way that you tell us to premen. And that's the way I went about this job. I went about it. Like I'm going to try to do the very best for the other coaches in this building, for the players, for all of our families and for the players, their families. And I'm not going to, I will, I'm going to evaluate myself harder than anybody around here will still do. But once I make a decision and I've got to, to, Give an account for why I did that. I'm gonna own it and good bad, or indifferent That's what's gonna happen And I think that it endears to a lot of people I know that's what endears me to this place and then there's a lot of people that it rubs the wrong way and that's okay I don't have any problems with them like It's okay. It's just I did it the best way I knew how it wasn't good enough somebody else gets a turn like that's the nature of what I I chose this like don't feel bad for me I chose this Well, we're going on two
1: hours appreciate this huge chunk of your time and appreciate you sharing the stories and uh it's good to finally get to sit and talk to you yeah you know we we've in air quotes known each other 20 years but we don't get to sit and talk so it's very cool man appreciate everything and and thanks for coming
0: on i appreciate you guys letting me to put my own words on the experience i really do that means a lot to me
1: yeah so so hopefully if if you're interviewing for a job, you can point him towards this YouTube video and say, this is me. Go watch this. There that. it is. <laughs> I'll give you all a little kickback if that happens. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Justin. Thank you. All right, folks. That's TSL Podcast number 221. Uh, thanks for listening or watching or, or both, however you consume it. And uh, we'll be back next week with another one. Probably won't be this good, but we'll try. <laughs> thanks a lot.